0: You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Last week, Chris O'Brien
1: was off. It wasn't just a leisurely weekend off. He attended a UFO convention in Northern California in the Silicon Valley, and we had Nick Redford on hand, and he had some very fascinating comments to make particularly about whether there was a UFO crash or a series of UFO crashes in Kingman, Arizona. Anyway, Chris is back at the old stand, and he's a little bit ornery this week because this UFO convention didn't turn out so well.
2: Well, it wasn't that. It was just, you know, it was like I was in a nightmare uh, of sorts. I, I, I just, To me, it is absolutely imperative that this field come up with a way to vet people before they're given any sort of stage, podium, pulpit to start spewing their f- fairy tales to the masses. I, I just, I, number one, I, if I had known that um, certain individuals who were featured at this particular event were going to be there, I probably wouldn't have agreed to speak. Can uh, we
1: spell Sean David Morton? Oh my God. We exposed
2: I, him the first year with our previous co-host. I just, you know, the, the, the guy was the face. He was the host of the event. And to me, are you kidding me? It was absolutely ludicrous. It's like the guy was given some sort of blank slate uh, on which to work from. And to me, someone who narrowly escaped a very, very serious uh, amount of prison time for bilking—I I forget what the number was, but it was somewhere around six million dollars. I, I was calling him the negative six million dollar man. <laughs> The fact that he was able to somehow wiggle out of those SEC charges uh, uh, when they had him uh, for the roast, he was the roaster, and it was he cracked a couple of funny jokes, but he wasn't as funny as he was made out to be. Believe me, a little pathetic, actually, very juvenile. I have never seen somebody list themselves as Doctor, S- you know, Sean David Morton, PhD. It's like <laughs> either you use the alphabets at the end or you call yourself doctor. Uh, you don't do both. And to me, it was just so indicative of a hyper, super inflated ego that, um, it was walking around like, uh, you know, his proverbial murder didn't stink. And it did. I, I'm sorry. I've just got problems with giving someone like that, who obviously built uh, millions of dollars out of people to pretend like it didn't happen. And he gets a do over, uh, it, it just,
1: it's I'm called sorry. etch-a-sketch moment. That's the official term nowadays in the yeah. political arena. But it's even worse, though. You know, you can give yourself any kind of title for your degree, your alleged degree. Like I would just occasionally, with Jim Mosley, we call ourselves BLT. That's our degree, bacon, lettuce, and tomato. So that's as authentic as what Sean David Morton has. And I remember when he was on the show back in 2006. We had him on a couple of times. And he'd make claims about knowing famous people. But when you actually looked up whether he knew these people, of course, it didn't happen. The guy was just making it all up. There was a guy named Ross Myers who started a site called UFOWatchdog.com, and we had control of it for a while. He's got it back. But his primary goal today is to continue to serve as a watchdog to the shenanigans of Sean David Morton. How was the attendance, by the way?
2: this was the first annual ufo con which i think was it was aptly uh named and it 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 was kind of picked up where victoria jacks left off with of the ufo expo which she ran, ran into the ground after 12 years bob dean was left uh you know he had to pay his own hotel room and and didn't get his per diem i think they left charles halt at the at the airport it, it was just a nightmare so the bookers um who worked with Victoria, uh, Brian Hall, and um, and his partner Lorian, were the ones that picked up the reins and and uh, are reestablishing this particular uh, conference and venue. And they had maybe 250, 300 people there. But um, I'm telling you, it was it was like walking around in some sort of weird kaleidoscopic kind of days. Uh, the True Believer crowd was out in force and it was pretty amazing to see uh, <laughs> the speaker panel was quite interesting. There was 13 of us uh, crammed up there from Alfred Weber, Andrew Bassagio, Laura Eisenhower to this this new face on the block, Douglas Dietrich. Now this guy is <laughs> he's he's a real piece of work, man. I, I, I need to do a little research on this guy because, boy, I'll tell you he's coming up with some outrageous stuff. Revisionist uh, World War II history. Uh, very interesting. Me, Rich Dolan and I kind of we're trying hard not to crack up at moments. Um, but, you know, the whole thing is that, that these people aren't vetted. Nobody's checking their credentials. Um, and uh, in terms of outrageous claims, I mean, Andrew Bassagio, I mean, this guy, he takes the cake. We've got to get him on the show. I mean, he's very well-spoken. He presents his information in a very, in a very uh, matter-of-fact manner. Uh, I didn't sit through his presentation but I slowly am becoming aware of some of the details of his claims of being a child time traveler for the government and then he of course the uh the Ha that uh, arose about a, a month and a half ago claiming that he was trained uh by Ed Dames and he and Laura Eisenhower met Barry Satoro uh Barack Obama on Mars I mean where do I, I can't believe I'll tell you what, just listening To
1: your stream of consciousness there. Barack Obama on Mars. And I understand, you know, we have a very polarized climate in the U.S. as people around the world listen to the show know. And there are people who regard Obama as some kind of other, but not an other from another planet or may have traveled there, an other because he wasn't born in this country, allegedly. That's one of the conspiracy theories. But, you know, it sounds to me like you take a bullet point and you say, how many wacky things can I think of? And you make the largest bullet point list you can and you read off them. And it doesn't matter if you can't prove anything, but this guy, Andrew Basaggio, you say he probably would come on the PowerCast.
2: Well, he's, he, um, he has uh, shown interest in coming on the show and I think he'd be a great guest. Very well spoken. The guy's got three or four degrees he claims and is a practicing lawyer in Washington state. So we're talking about a, a bright guy. I mean, a, uh, Alfred Weber has a law degree from Yale. If if these guys aren't delusional, then they've got to be some sort of um, plants in the field, uh, disinformation agents or something. I I can't for the life of me uh, believe at face value uh, some of the things that they claim. I mean, it doesn't matter what comes along. Weber's going to sign off on it pretty much. But uh, this Massaggio and uh, Eisenhower characters, these two, I just don't know how people can – Suspend their disbelief and not question these people and find out, you know, they don't have any evidence whatsoever to back these claims up. I mean, nothing, zilch, nada. There's nothing there, to my knowledge, that that, that would even allow them to be let into the building. Uh, You need something, anything besides just your version of events. Uh,
1: Now, let me ask you a question here. The people who put this event together, they're aware – of the fact that these people have no real authority in the things they say, they were just looking to fill crowds and fill the audience.
2: Yeah, they were looking. They were looking for, uh, as as Brian put it, we were looking for a wide range of speakers uh, coming from various points of view within the field. Um, I guess I was added as as some sort of sideshow. I ended up up there preaching to the crowd, saying, "Don't you understand? You're sitting in the in the the pews of the church of the new religion." <laughs> Can I get a name in? You know, I was up there kind of. Oh, boy. <laughs> this would have been fun. It sounds like it well, would have been it's fun. Well, it your got lecture. tape, so I can't wait to see the tape. Of course, again, I tried to, you know, put a four hour talk into uh, less than 90 minutes, so it was a little difficult. But um, I got uh, uh, comments from my talk, they uh, were all over the, all over the board. Um,
1: we'll go into that lady, more maybe lady. in our introductory part for the next show because we have a guest today. Oh no, we do. Yeah. We do indeed. Yeah, Mike Barra is author of a book called Ancient Aliens on the Moon.
2: Now let's go to the moon. Yes, we're,
1: we might be going moon, to the Mike. moon with this subject, or we might follow what Jackie Gleason said so many years ago on that famous sitcom, To the Moon. I'll say To the Moon, Mike. Something yeah. of that nature. Or this whole show may be out of space. I don't How's know, except going? he once co-authored a book with Richard Hoagland, I see.
2: So yeah, well, we're going to have to get into that little association, I'm sure.
1: We're going to go into that. Mike Barr is coming up next with Gene and Chris. You're in the
2: ParaCast.
1: Hey neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV: the perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to AsSeenOnTV.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites, As Seen on TV. Check them out, AsSeenOnTV.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SEEN1, S-E-E-N, number one, Scene one Go to AsSeenOnTV.com to order. Save 10%. Purchase this summer's hottest as seen on TV items, save 10%. Or call 1 866 1 866 The code scene one to save.
3: Paul states, it's what every American needs to know about central bank power, a gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. If you like cow's milk... You'll love Camel Milk. Yes, the newest, oldest thing
4: in the world. Camel Milk has sustained civilizations for thousands of years. Here's just one user's
5: testimonial.
6: My lime stricken boy developed severe allergies to nearly every food he ingested. At first, I was scared to death to try Camel Milk, but he had no allergic reactions of any kind. Nothing. The Camel Milk was wondrous in healing his GI issues, and it's the one thing I can attribute to his getting out of bed after almost a year spent there. Too ill to do anything.
4: Camel Milk. Milk is loaded with health benefits far superior to other milk is rich in b vitamins and three times higher in vitamin c than cow's milk 10 times higher in iron camel milk comes fresh or frozen from your trusted local family farm humpback dairies of miller missouri to order call this number one 848 7570 that's 1-417-848-7570 call one 848 7570 for camel milk the best kept health secret ever
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: We have Mike Barrer joining us. His latest book is called Ancient Aliens on the Moon, but his bio says he's a New York Times best-selling author. So, Mike, welcome to the PowerCast. What book was the bestseller?
9: That was uh, that was the book I co-wrote with Richard C. Hoagland. It was uh, titled Dark Mission, The Secret History of NASA. And uh, we reached that pinnacle in, uh, in 2007. It was uh, really pretty exciting.
1: Okay, so what is the secret mission of NASA? Let's talk about that very briefly before we get to what's going on on the moon.
9: Well, you know, it's interesting because, because we do talk about a lot of the artifacts on the moon in dark mission, but, but the difference between that book and this one is that, uh, is that dark mission was really focused not just on the reality that there are these, these ruins pretty much all over the solar system, but on the very extensive political up that, that NASA has been engaged in since really the dawn of the space agency. And so it has a lot to do with the, uh, it's the deeper conspiracy questions, the political issues, the politics of science, um, essentially how any idea that is, um, you know, not part of the established orthodoxy is completely frozen out of, of any opportunity for um, an open review, you know, in the scientific literature. And it's very closed system and and it's just something where you know they do not allow you to speak of things that they do not approve of and that okay but the point
1: we have to have here mike is so we have of course the claim that there are artifacts Mm -hmm. on the moon on mars the implication being these are intelligently constructed is that correct
9: yeah absolutely and you know i mean it doesn't take um it doesn't take very much of a, uh, of a set of eyes to really appreciate that this stuff is, is from a very highly advanced technology. And um, the interesting thing is that as alien as it must be because of our understanding of history, the reality is if you look at this structure, it does uh, it does tend to follow human engineering standards. And that's one of the, the reasons why, you know, with my engineering background, I, I kind of look at the stuff that was being presented and said, hey, this this all makes sense from an engineering standpoint or an architectural standpoint. So, We're
1: still dealing with something, Mike, that is disputed. I mean, yeah, you may feel that these artifacts, and I assume you mean it, the face on it, Mars and disputed, all this stuff?
9: It, it's not disputed by anybody who knows what they're looking at or anybody who, who has a brain.
1: I understand that you believe these are not disputed, but you're saying that if someone says they don't believe these are intelligently constructed artifacts they don't have a brain that's going a little too far don't you think
9: i'm saying that there's no valid argument for that position well let's look at the arguments for your position what
1: makes you feel and i assume richard hoagland probably agrees with you on a lot of these things what makes you and hoagland believe that say the face on mars is really an artificial construction not some kind of random rorsach test
9: well, because there's nothing random about it, first of all. Um, it, it has parallel lines. It has parallel segments, and there's two distinct halves, one of which, when you symmetry it over, is clearly a human face, one of which, when you symmetry over the other side, appears to be uh, leonine. It appears to be uh, a feline face. It has features at at a very uh, far away, from a very far away perspective. clearly has artificial features. It's very symmetrical. And from a close-up, perspective, it has very specific detailed features which indicate that it's a constructed artifact, and that includes all kinds of things. There's, a, there's an eyeball in the eye socket. There, the eye itself is shaped on the right-hand side is shaped like a human eye. It even has the implications of a tear duct. There's a brow ridge. There's nostrils in the nose. There's been some indication of teeth in the mouth from some of the images. And from all the different images we have of the face, uh, just as an isolated object, uh, it, it shows all the aspects that I think anybody would logically um, uh, look for in a constructed artifact or a monument as opposed to just some sort of random hill. I've, I've never seen a random hill of any kind that, that even remotely resembles the face in terms of its, its its overwhelming, you know, spatial characteristics.
1: Now, in addition to the face on Mars, and I'm going to ask you another question about that in a moment, what other artifacts might we see on Mars that might indicate some sort of intelligent presence at one time or another?
9: Well, all, all around the face, there are uh, objects that have pyramidal shapes. There's a, a large object about a mile and a half across and about a mile and a half high called the DNM Pyramid, which is a pentagonal pyramid. Uh, it's impossible for it to have been shaped by wind. It is uh, got a very consistent internal geometry. There is a relationship. That geometry is related to other objects in the area, which also appear to be geologically anomalous. So in the case of the face on Mars, there's there's all kinds of different things around the face that also appear to be artificial, and DNM is, for instance, bilaterally symmetrical around two different axes, and that, again, is not something that ever happens in nature. It's not something that could happen in trillions of years, much less billions of years, uh, which is the you know, assumed age of our universe. So, You know, again, if space was completely isolated and there was nothing else around it, you could make the argument that it was just some amazing stroke of luck, I suppose, that this thing looked like this. But all around it, all kinds of other artificial objects, and they have significant, mathematically significant relationships, geometric relationships to each other. That's the interesting thing about about Sionia. Okay. And, of course, there's several other levels of detail we can go into about that if you want to talk about Mars.
1: Well, I think one of the things I want to ask about Mars, and we'll get to the Moon in a moment, is we have NASA sending these probes, the lunar rovers, whatever, landing on mm-hmm. Mars, checking it out for evidence of intelligent life in the past, but they're not looking at these artifacts, are they?
9: Actually, they, they are not looking at these artifacts specifically, but they, there are lots of interesting things that they've come across in their travels. There was, I believe it was Opportunity came to an area called Home Plate about five or six years ago, which kind of looks like it might have once been the foundation of something artificial, and as you look around the debris field for what NASA says to, uh, what NASA says are rocks, what you actually see are objects that have characteristics of form, fabricated, um, mechanical engineering. Engineering that's that's what I see. I see stuff that has what looks like uh, wrecked air conditioners and and pumps and all kinds of mechanical equipment It just happens to look, you know, conspicuously like. Artifacts. So uh, the question is, you know, is this, are they deliberately there looking for artifacts? Do they just not see this stuff, which, of course, I don't believe for a minute. Or, um, or are these areas places where they felt they could land safely, do some private investigation, and, and be able to pass off what they show us as, as rocks to the average person who doesn't really grasp what they're looking at?
2: Um, I've got a, a couple of questions for you, Mike. Uh, this is Chris O'Brien here. Welcome to the show. Uh, hey, Chris. I just recently uh, just got back yesterday from the uh, UFO Con in Santa Clara, California, mm-hmm. where one of the speakers was this um, fairly recent arrival in the field named Andrew Bassagio. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with his claims about finding life on Mars a number of years ago? And have you have you seen any of the photographs that he purports are? Evidence of humanoid forms and other things on Mars. Uh, to me, it's just a case of very an overactive imagination and some sort of pareidolia But w- w- what's your take on his claims,
0: Mike? Well, I have. to ask different. you to
1: hold off the answer for one okay. second. Here, we got to do a break. Okay. All right. So we'll get that out of the way. We have Mike Barra. He's author of Ancient Aliens on the Moon and other works. You're on with Gene and Chris. You're in
2: the Paracast.
11: the worst drought in 50 years continues, and the first six months of 2012 marks the hottest half year on record. 78% of the Midwest corn belt is in drought conditions. Not only corn, but soy, alfalfa, fruits, vegetables, and wheat are all impacted, raising prices. The cost to feed livestock is forcing farmers and ranchers out of business, blowing up your food prices. The only strategy to counter this is to freeze your food cost at today's prices by getting your own supply of foods from eFoods Direct now. As the price of raw ingredients increases, eFoods will have to to raise prices too. Now is the time to get your supply. I recently increased my supply from eFoods Direct because we have all known this was coming. You know about their delicious, long-term, storable foods. The fact is, you can eat at any time to save money today. And because it stores for 25 years, you're locking in today's prices and avoiding the rising food cost. Don't wait. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Call 800-409-5633
12: or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoods Direct. Every GCN listener deserves low-cost, high-quality survival and preparation products. Get yours now at CampingSurvival.com. For example, save on the Life Straw personal water filter for only $19.95 or the WaterBob emergency 100-gallon fresh water system only $24.95. Get one for every bathtub in your home. And Bridgeford Foods, tasty, ready-to-eat MRE sandwiches start at only $2.95 each. Campingsurvival.com is a convenient one-stop shop with over 17,000 urban, wilderness, and preparedness items. Supreme customer service, very low shipping, and no games. We search the web to make sure we have the lowest prices. And remember, CampingSurvival.com is 100% USMC veteran owned. Do business with the authority on survival since 1956. CampingSurvival.com. Want more savings? Use coupon code GCN at checkout for a 5% discount. CampingSurvival.com. Confidence born of preparation. Every day,
13: nearly 3,000 families enter into foreclosure and face losing their home. If you're currently behind on your mortgage, you can still avoid foreclosure. You can save your home, but you need to act now. We're Allied State Foreclosure Services. We're experts in saving homes from foreclosure. With just one phone call to us, you can stop the foreclosure process, lower your monthly mortgage payments, and save your home. Call now. The call is free with no obligation. 1-800-597-8843. Call us if you've been threatened with foreclosure, denied loan modification, or missed a payment on your mortgage. If you've been a victim of a predatory loan or are upside down on your mortgage, even if you've lost your job and you're worried about losing your home, don't wait. Call us now and let us help you save your home. You've worked hard to build a life with your family. Let us help you keep your home. Call now before it's too late. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned in to the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri?
1: Mike Barrett joining us on the Paracast with Gene and with Chris. He's author of Ancient Aliens on the Moon, but he's also covered the mysteries of Mars. Now, Chris O'Brien had asked a very detailed question ahead of our break. Mike... You got the question. What's your response?
9: Well, first of all, before I get to Andrew, I'd like to deal with this, this idea of par- pareidolia. There, there's no such thing. It, it's an invented term. It is not a scientific term. It has never been investigated. There are no scientific papers on it. It was basically coined by a debunker, and I actually cover this in, in Ancient Aliens on the Moon a little bit. It, there, there's no such thing as a, as a human tendency to see patterns where there are none. Now, having said that, there are people that do have, somewhat overactive imaginations. I don't know this uh, Andrew guy personally at all, Andrew Basciago I don't know him very well. From what I've seen of what he's claimed, uh, I'm not too impressed by it. There are funny looking things, uh, but you can also get tricked by you know, by light, light and shadows. You could definitely be tricked by certain stuff. And I, I just have to say, I don't know enough about his specific claims or his specific images to really make a comment on it. What what we do have is we do have this sort of mythology about there being a secret space program that actually goes all the way back to the astronauts um, back in the Apollo era who, who were overheard by people that I know personally. So it is hearsay. So again, somebody told me.
1: Let me but ask you before that, you that say that, here. before you proceed with what they told you, Mike, the people who told you this personally, were they in the know?
9: They were not the people in the know, but they were sitting right there when the astronaut said, yeah, there's a secret space program. We're just spamming a can they've already been to the moon, they've already been to Mars. So these rumors have been floating around since the early 1960s when these conversations were overheard. But the question is, you know, I think Andrew has claimed that he's actually been to Mars uh, in one of these these hyper-ships that he's flying saucers I was going to get to that. Yeah, I can't can't comment on it because I I don't know much about his claims in detail. And I I prefer to stick with the stuff that I can really put my finger on and feel is very solid. And, and that I really, you know, say to myself, okay, this this is something that, that I think I can, it's not just somebody's story. I can actually back it up. with I think, Right, good answer. Evidence.
2: Very good answer. Here's my other question. Richard Hoagland is not known as the, uh, maybe as much uh, of a team player as some people would like him to be. Uh, it, I'm interested to know what it was like working with him on Dark Mission. And in light of some of the relationships that he's had in the past that uh, kind of went south, I would imagine he he would not be the most uh the easiest guy to work with he, he that he would be uh kind of difficult uh, what was it like working with him on that project? It's a very good book by the way
9: well i'm not going to say it i'm not going to say that it it is not easy to work with him he's very demanding he's an easy, he's a perfectionist he has his own Perspective on on everything, and and I will say this: that i working with him for about 15 years. That the vast majority of the time, he ends up in the long run being being proven correct. There's very few things that I feel like he that I've worked with him on, certainly that I don't feel like we can back up very very solidly. So it, it's a it's difficult. It was Dark Mission was a huge project. It was uh, it, it was a very very detailed, and and he's a you know he's a he's a demanding person, but it, that's how he gets. To so many things that he gets to, in other words, if he didn't have that very intense and singular focus, he wouldn't have found all the things that he's found and I think he's found some extraordinary stuff on the moon on mars on other in other places, so you know it's one of those things where you know it's just not that easy to it's not that easy to be as intense about everything as he is it's It's more that I think that people mis- mistake his. it's that singular focus is sometimes mistaken for selfishness. And really it's just that he wants to get the information out and he's very demanding about the way in which it's presented. And, you know, if your name is going to be on it, I guess I can understand that. So, you know, I mean, again, there, the thing is, is that these books, I would love the ancient aliens on the moon and, and hopefully the next one ancient aliens on Mars. I would love to be working with him on these projects, but, it is just—it's like wow—you gotta you gotta add a lot of extra time to it and a lot of extra detail and maybe things I didn't want to go into if if I'm gonna work with Richard on it. It's it's gonna be his show. And okay, but I wanted to so ask you more end.
1: about the secret space program since we raised it. Do you personally sure. believe that there was and or is a secret space program?
9: Well, there's certainly—I think there certainly is a lot of evidence. Uh, I'm not meaning like sending
1: up spy technology. satellites or stuff like that. We understand. No,
9: no, I, I know what we're talking about. We're talking about like UFO technology. So, just to, to answer it in a very short term, first, absolutely, I think that we've had line foster technology, us meaning the United States, probably since the 1950s or early 60s, and so this, and this is stuff that comes from out.
1: Roswell. Is that what you're saying?
9: Well, it could have come from Roswell, another place could have come from is, is the Nazi program. the very advanced uh, physics the, the Nazis were involved with. If you're uh, really are into that, you want to read uh, Dr. Joseph Farrell's books, especially Reich of the Black Sun and the Brotherhood of the Bell.
2: And I, Henry I Stevens as well.
9: Yeah, okay, I don't know so much about him, but, but where they were working with this very, very advanced, unified field type of technology. And, you know, my second book, The Choice, in that book I really talk about how physics got all messed up and it kind of went sideways back in the early 20th century. And meantime, the, the Germans didn't feel at all constricted um, by Einstein or by uh, Newton or relativity, and they went off in some very bizarre directions and created some, some really interesting technologies that, that somehow just sort of disappeared in the late 1950s. Now, another thing... Uh, excuse me,
1: disappeared like, how?
9: Well, they just kind of went out of the literature. There was a lot of research going on in terms of magnetic drives and counter-rotating magnetic fields and stuff that was in the public, and then it all just sort of dried up and, and went away. But what was really interesting is that, you know, in, in the choice in my, my previous book, I did talk about the fact that, that Werner von Braun had this problem that he discovered, which which was that the Explorer 1 spacecraft went, ended up in an orbit about 600 miles higher than it was supposed to. And immediately after that, he began to ask questions of people like uh, Jacques Allais, who was actually an economist that tackles in physics, that found out, for instance, that free swinging pendulums will go backwards against the rotation of the Earth during eclipses. And he began to investigate these field propulsion theories. He, he went to uh, talk to some other German doctors. So what I suspect is that, that there's a sort of a private space program that already knew all this stuff, and the public space program, the von Braun and those people, didn't really know about this, this advanced physics research, but they kind of discovered it by accident when all of their spacecraft started ending up in places other than where they were supposed to be. And, and they begin to realize that they were just somehow getting more energy into the systems, into the rocket system than they expected. And, and they had to kind of get that problem fixed before they could actually go to the moon and come back and return safely. So that's just something that, that implies to me that the public sector space program in their sort of secret stuff by satellite people, the CIA types discovered this themselves in the early 1960s. So if that's the case, and I think we can probably ascribe an awful lot of UFO sightings, probably to our own you know, experimental spacecraft.
1: Okay, if there's a secret space program, how far has it gone? Have we already gone to Mars, for example? Have we returned to the moon since the 1970s?
9: That I don't, I don't know from personal experience. I have, I have talked to people that have offered me a ride, <laughs> one of them, uh, on the condition that I could never talk about it or I'd, I'd assume room temperature very quickly, and I said, well, what's the, what's the point of going if I can't tell anybody what I saw, you know? So I, I turned down that offer to this point. But, you know, there are people that I do know. This is a person that I know personally that I do know is well-connected, and if he's telling me that this stuff is out there, then I'm going to assume that that stuff is out there. You've also got the, the whole, if you remember, the Serpo.org thing. A controversy that came up about five years ago. And I'll where, tell you oh what, boy,
1: frankly, we did not believe the SERPO at all. It sounded like a red <laughs> well, herring. It sounded like a it, prank. It sounded like disinformation. It, so we didn't yeah, take it seriously. But, but,
9: but if, if any part of it is true, then that means we have had some extraterrestrial contact over the years, and, and we may have learned things from them, too. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, it's actually interesting that these two questions about Hoagland and about the secret space program are connected because before I did my second book The choice, Richard and I were discussing Dark Mission 2, the secret space program.
1: We have Mike Barra. His latest book is Ancient Aliens on the Moon, but we're talking about secret space programs and stuff on Mars, too. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast.
10: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We also have
1: swag. You know, we have all these exclusive PowerCast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, stuff for women stuff for men we have all sorts of sizes like small up to x large a lot of good stuff that's the swag from the PowerCast. you go to store.thepowercast.com stop by and take a shopping tour
14: that's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com.
15: That's 870 784 3121. Renovation Tease. Renovate your health, one bag at a time.
7: For years, you've been hearing about Herbal Healer Academy and how it's remained the leader in effective, alternative, and natural medicine and education. But how can they continue to hold that title for years on end? The answer is high quality and huge selection. Just visit herbalhealer.com and shop online or request a free catalog. You're bound to find the alternative you're looking for. Did you know that Herbal Healer carries the latest, safest, and effective weight loss products? You can also count on Herbal Healer for the largest selection of safe and natural supplements just for children. And don't forget your pets. Herbal Healer even has natural mineral supplements for all your animals, including horses, cows, and birds. Take a peek at their online calendar and you're sure to find everything you need and maybe something you didn't realize you needed. Visit HerbalHealer.com and don't forget to sign up for the free Herbal Healer newsletter. HerbalHealer.com, working with the power of nature. This is Leslie Kane and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: The book is called Ancient Aliens on the Moon, which is coming out this month. It is only one of a number of works from our guest, Mike Barra, who's also written with Richard Hoagland. We're talking about the mysteries of Mars, the moon, ancient artifacts, present artifacts, who knows, secret space programs, so much more. Chris,
2: you have a question from one of our listeners? Since we're, we're, uh, we're starting out on Mars, um, uh, Ufology, one of our um, longtime posters, and, and a very active poster at forum.theparacast.com, has a question for you Mike about the Mars probe Curiosity. He says it was lowered to the surface by a sky crane, a precision rocket-powered platform that allegedly just flew away and crashed after it was done lowering the, the rover to the surface. This seems like an incredibly stupid thing for the brightest minds in our space program to do unless they didn't really crash it. How do we know for sure that it's not being used for some clandestine mission? <laughs>
9: Well, we don't know, you know, we can't prove a negative. We don't know anything for sure uh, about that, although I will say that there was, you know, one of the first pictures Curiosity took was there seemed to be this sort of dust cloud in the distance, and there is speculation that that is where the sled, the rocket sled, basically crashed. Um, I, you know, I can understand the suspicion because it seems like a real waste of an expensive piece of equipment, but there, there are limitations on, on rocket fuel and things like that, so, you know, you can't, you can't discount uh, the, the the possibility or the probability that it's pretty much was designed exactly the way they said it was. I don't know what the clandestine mission would be uh, it, it seems to me if you look at, at the images that have come out of curiosity so far and again our friend Mr. Hoagland spending a lot more time on that than I am right now you know there there are there seems to be a really uh, slow release pattern in terms of the images that are being presented I'm sure they have far more images than they've released to this point and um some of the early images didn't really show you uh, the big mountain there. I forget the name of the mountain, but but the first early images showed some stuff that I thought was pretty interesting looking, but then subsequent images, they really didn't focus on that very much. And now when we look at it, it looks pretty mundane. So I think it's more likely that they've been hanging on to some of the better photographs and images, actually I should call them images, than it is that the sled had any sort of super secret mission. I mean, from from a conventional rocket design standpoint, the way it was designed, you know, seems to have worked pretty well, and it seems fairly logical. I don't, I don't know what that super secret mission for the, uh, the platform would be because we've got a, ama- you know, if you saw some of the pictures, you saw the amazing picture from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter of the parachutes, you know, in great detail as, as Curiosity was, was parachuting down to the Martian surface. We've got pretty good cameras up there right now.
2: Well, I have another question. This one's from Wester71 he's been a poster in the forum for a year he says besides relying on photos provided by others is there a way one self could retrieve their own evidence as an example how powerful of a lens would be needed in my telescope to see something so small so far away what do you think of google moon or google mars silly question i realize however all great things start in these manners. maybe next is google galaxy yeah
9: it's pretty interesting if you want to talk about google galaxy i mean some people have inter- very interestingly they they focused up on Google Sky at the star Sirius, and it is blocked out there's a big like paper card you know, like a construction paper splatter over Sirius. like what is it about Sirius that they don 't want us to see in google sky that's pretty interesting because again in Dark mission, we talked about how, how Sirius and, and the goddess Isis, which it represents in the Egyptian mythology is really. Important to NASA, so I found some things very curious about that. You know, Google Earth. I, I was just looking at something where there um, appeared to be photographs of what looked like pyramids being constructed at Area 51 that were in Google Earth and are no longer in Google Earth. You know, I think Google, the whole Google complex. I think that they're they're compromised. They're they're definitely you know owned by by the, the powers that be, and I don't think that we're going to find much from them. I've
1: seen. I to jump in there, you're saying that sure. Google is controlled by the powers that be, or maybe just their access?
9: Well, I, I call it Googlepedia. It's sort of a, an unholy alliance between Wikipedia and Google. And, you know, Wikipedia, they, they basically have this group of, of uh, you know, NASA brown shirts who go around. And any time you try to change the page on the face on Mars, for instance, to to put anything factual or accurate in there, they go in within 30 seconds or a minute and take it out. And, and it's just that you can't trust the information on there. Now,
1: you're Google saying this has- is being done by NASA and not by individuals?
9: Well, yeah, but these are individuals who I guarantee you have some affiliation with NASA or at the very least are members of the planetary society or whatever and, I, and what I've found is that a lot of them are usually people that are working in you know various capacities for NASA that their funding comes from NASA you're looking I'll at give the names. You a specific example of it okay, sure. I give you a specific specific example of this and and one of them is that you know on the face on Mars page there there is a description there where you know they talk about how nasa um Took the picture and told everybody that it was just a trick of light and shadow, and they turned out to be correct. And I w- I've gone in there several times, tried to put in the exact quote that Dr. Gerald Soffen put in, which is what what he said was, is that you know we took an image of this thing, but on the next orbit, a couple of hours later, it wasn't there. It all went away. It was just you know, isn't it amazing what tricks of light and shadow can do? Well, the fact is that two hours later, first of all, the the Viking orbiter was a polar orbiter meaning that the planet continued to rotate underneath the spacecraft. The next orbit was hundreds of miles away from Sidonia. It wasn't anywhere near the face of Mars. It could not have taken a picture because at that time Sedonia at any rate was in darkness. It was nighttime. So that was a lie. And and to put I've tried to put that actual real quote in there must have been a dozen times. And there's always these people that come in. There's several different ones. You know, I look them up, and they work at universities that are funded by NASA. They work on programs, and they immediately take it out. So, again, it's all being edited, and I'm just saying that you can't completely trust what you see on Google Earth or Google Moon or Wikipedia, and I, I tend to call it Wikipedia just because I have the point. You know, I think it's great for general stuff, but I don't think that it's something that I would rely on for anything that, that involves any kind of scientific and Now, I
1: want to go back to the Secret Space Program, more detail, because... If we have secret space programs where we're farther advanced along the curve, mm-hmm. why do we have a public space program where all we're doing is cutting back?
9: Well, it, it seems to me that it, what's really interesting, and, and again, going back to some of Richard Coglin's work, this is really interesting because he created a graph about five years ago where he showed the advancement in transportation technology, starting with human beings walking at six, seven miles an hour, and then he went to, you know, horseback, which can get you up to about, what, 18, 20 miles an hour. And then we went from there to, I guess, the steam train, and automobiles, and propeller airplanes, and jet airplanes, and then rockets. And this curve, if you look at it, in terms of our transportation technology, it goes straight up. It's 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 just a straight-up curve. And then in 1960, right about 1960, we developed rockets, and ever since then, it's a straight line. For the last 50, 60 years now, we have not advanced at all in terms of our transportation technology. We haven't increased our speed. We're still using chemical rockets. And if you look at the curve in the development, that's just not logical. That's just not a, a, you know, that's not the way things are developed. You look at microprocessor technology and how it continues to develop. You don't have these drop-offs. So what he's argued, and I think it's very logical, is that somewhere along the line, they must have developed, the next technology beyond rockets. And again, going back to the Werner von Braun story, this is the prime example of where somebody was looking into these field propulsion technologies, and there were papers by German physicists that were out there talking about these ideas. So you had this, this sort of confluence of information, and then it just sort of disappears, and people stop talking about it publicly in the 1960s. And we have this rocket technology, and then we just flatline in terms of our, our transportation speeds. So logically, the next, the, the, the thing to me is I look at that curve is I say, okay, obviously we must have discovered the next thing beyond rockets, but it's all being kept secret. It's all being used just by those that are in charge. And, right. You know, the the again, mic- there's all kinds of political.
2: That brings, that brings up that, uh, that very enigmatic quote that we get from, uh, from Ben Rich, who was a longtime head of the Skunk Works uh, out of Palmdale. Uh, mm-hmm. In that quote was, we have the technology to take E.T. home and everything that you've seen out there on Star Trek and stuff is, is already a reality. You know, Very there was handy. a story
1: this week, by the way, that they appear to be making more progress towards finding out what's going on with regard to developing a warp drive. And maybe mm-hmm. yeah, we can
9: I do that. that. You heard about that. Mm-hmm. I saw that, and, it, and it's... So what they really said in the articles, which was I thought pretty interesting, is that it's really only a question of power. It's, it's a question of can you get a power source to actually do this with the proper power source, you can you can create this sort of toroidal shaped spacecraft that can actually you know create I guess some kind of gravity well and warp and bend space, and um, and and appear to move faster than light. Or in actuality, I guess you are moving faster than light. And, and there's lots of experiments, things I talk about in the choice that we, where we have had objects move faster than light. So that, yeah. the whole idea that you can't go faster than light is kind of a myth anyway. But I'll
1: tell you what we get into um, more of this stuff. Coming up, we have Mike Barra. The book is Ancient Aliens on the Moon, the current book, but we've covered a lot more. And right now, we're going into Warp Drive. Warp 12, Chris, with Gene and Chris, you're in (laughs) The (laughs) Barracast.
16: Iodine Protection Packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant Powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant Powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: But I think Warp 12 is actually faster than the Star Trek universe allows. So we really I mean, cannot. Not Warp 12. Go
9: warp 10. Yeah, warp ten is warp where 10. I think
1: warp ten no, is where they... the ship starts breaking apart. If you want the ship to start breaking apart, it's really you're starting at warp ten. You don't get any faster unless you get trans warp drive. That's well,
17: they
9: they actually went to warp fourteen in the original Star Trek after some aliens made modifications to the ship. And I was always thinking to myself, well, how come they never kept those modifications afterwards? You know, after that episode was over, they never went warp fourteen again.
1: So well, there you go. You know, they forget from one episode to the next. Mike Barrer joining That's us right. exploring. Mars, Moon, Space Mysteries with Gene and Chris on the PowerCast, and we're trying to look at the possible existence of a secret space program where they're doing things, where they're going, where no human has gone before, but none of this gets to the public. Wouldn't you think, though, that politically speaking, the administration would want to say, hey, we are a lot more advanced in space technology than you know about. Doesn't that make us look good? Why keep it a secret?
9: Well, there's probably lots of reasons to keep it a secret. For one thing, it, essentially, the core of all this, at the core of it, is unlimited energy. If you have unlimited energy, then it costs you nothing to create anything. Therefore, you have no economy. In other words, the, the, the current economy, the current economic system, where there's people, some people at the top, a lot of people in the middle, and, and a, a sizable chunk of people at the bottom, that all goes away. So the power structures go away. These people's position of privilege goes away. And, you know, again, that's one of the reasons why Tesla was suppressed back in the early um, 19, 20th century is because what he was planning to do was give free energy to everybody. Well, if energy's free, you can't charge for it. If you can't charge for it, then it costs nothing to make anything, and therefore everything is free. And that's not really a, a world that I think the powers that be want to live in. I think they much prefer their, their world where there is a hierarchy and it's all defined by money.
1: Okay, but so I want to ask me, you also here do we even assume if there is a secret space program, would me. the president or the Congress know about it, or is this something that basically they don't have the need to know?
9: That is an interesting question to which I don't have a really good answer because I don't know, and I haven't directly heard that. Is this one of those things that's completely off the books, off the budgets? Has it been done completely in secret to the point where presidents aren't even informed of it? For 50 years, I, I don't know that I've definitely heard that. I think it's, it makes a certain amount of sense. You know, the thing to understand is that the United States essentially is a corporation, and the current president is only the president of the corporation that is the United States. It is not. You can make an argument that there is this whole separate republic that exists out there that's above and, and a shell around the democracy, and the democracy is sort of a separate corporate entity that's below that. So in that sense, these people, you know, if this, they had this technology, had this sort of wonder world technology, they, they probably wouldn't include guys like Barack Obama. In it. That makes a certain amount of sense to me. You know, I don't know. I can't give you a solid answer. I think we, we're just purely speculating. That's one you should talk to people like Andrew Basiago about, because I don't know the answer.
2: <laughs> well, Rich Dolan is, has been touting uh, his uh, idea of a breakaway civilization. That has been slowly uh, separating itself from the great unwashed masses in us mere mortals mm-hmm. and 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 there is um, I think there is some pretty tantalizing um, hints here and there that would suggest that that may be the case but but it, it seems to me that uh you know if we're having to do simple things like refurbish the uh, space station. By, buying, you know, by hiring the Russians to uh, do refurbishing flights and that sort of thing, and resupply flights. It would seem to me that at least they would keep the semblance of some sort of manned program intact rather than just you know cut it off at, at, at the knees and, and just have nothing. Uh, we, we don't really have a manned space program anymore. And to me, there, there, there's, there's something strange about that. What, what do you think of that? What do you think of uh, the current mission statement of NASA or lack of one?
9: Well, it's it's pretty disheartening, you know, as somebody who grew up loving space exploration and not really ever trusting NASA, but loving space and space exploration, you know. You say not trusting NASA, how so? Well, you know, even as a little kid watching the missions, I always felt like there was stuff that they weren't telling us and stuff that they weren't showing us. And, and I, I can think of a couple of incidents, I remember specifically sitting on my living room floor with an air ink, watching Neil Armstrong take those shadowy, grainy, you know, first steps on the moon. And I remember asking my dad, who was a, an engineer at Boeing, you know, Dad, how come if we've got a color TV, how come they only have a really crappy black and white camera on the moon? And he said, well, I don't know, because TV signals would Get from here to there just fine. So he didn't understand it, and I didn't understand it. And well, you know, it may have like been an I issue, though. You're
1: an engineer, and you would understand this. It may have been an issue of the bandwidth. They didn't have the equipment with the bandwidth to project actually, it, a color image.
9: It wasn't. Yeah, actually, it wasn't. We looked into this in Dark Mission. They had a color camera. It, they, they were ordered to leave it. They had a very advanced, very high-quality color camera. On, the state, on Apollo 11, they were ordered to leave it in the command module. They were not allowed to take it to the surface of the moon. There were protests by scientists within NASA and within the, the scientific community. Why are we, I know one, one guy we quoted said, why are we you know, photographing man's first visit to another world in such a stingy manner? Why aren't we using the most advanced ca- uh, color camera stuff we have? And, and the reason for that was, that they, were, they weren't sure whether we'd be able to see anything they weren't supposed to see. And they were very concerned. And in fact, they actually degraded the image. As we now know, they actually sort of deliberately downscanned the image to make it even worse than it was. So now, from the beginning, I didn't really ever trust a lot of things about NASA and, and just a lot of things that seemed a little bit weird even to a little kid at the time. And, and you know, the, the thing is, in terms of their space program today, I, I can't make any sense of it, except in the sort of traditional, non-conspiratorial political sense, which is that Barack Obama's a liberal. And liberals have never supported the space program. Walter Mondale tried to kill the space shuttle. They always want to spend money on something else. It's cost thousands of engineers their jobs. You know, one of the best stimuluses I could think of in the last four years they could have done would be to accelerate all of the satellite and yes but you're
1: also it's kind of a contrary thing because john kennedy the supposed famous liberal was the one who proposed the program to send us to the moon before 1970 or by 1970 also the liberals would want to have government programs to develop scientific and infrastructure projects because that's part of their meme that they want the government to help boost the economy so wouldn't that make sense
9: well, that would make a certain amount of sense, sense, except that I would disagree with you about John Kennedy being a liberal. If he was, if he was, a, you know, a candidate today, he'd be considered very conservative. He'd be definitely be a Republican. He'd definitely be considered conservative. He believed in strong national defense. He believed in tax cuts. He believed in basically all the precepts of free economics. So I don't think he'd be considered a liberal today. And he wasn't really very liberal on social issues until events sort of overtook him. So that's another important thing to remember. But. Having said that, yeah, you could make that argument that logically the liberal ideology would want to pursue this sort of government control of advanced technology, but, you know, they don't typically, they haven't typically operated in that way. They're always looking for, for ways to cut the budget in order to get votes, at least from my perspective, and I don't, I just don't think, I don't think there's all that many votes for Democrats in the, uh, in the engineering field. Engineers tend to be more conservative. So I think that, you know, when we're looking at projects like that, it's like, well, let's take the money away from there and go spend it on, I don't know, you know food stamps or something else that they think is going to get them a vote somewhere else. So- well,
1: maybe so, but if we look at the Republican-controlled Congress, I don't see too many congressmen pushing for an expanded space program, and in looking at the various candidates for president on the Republican side, including Romney... Some stuff's mentioned about NASA, but not very yeah. much. It doesn't seem to be politically yeah. correct, whichever party you're on.
9: Yeah, it is, it is disheartening. It's one of these things that they bring up in Florida when they want to get, you know, they want to get the Florida vote. But I, I sincerely do hope that we go back to a, a manned space program with, with the next administration. I mean, I really think we should be pushing forward. I, I really like the direct Two concepts, which was a, a project where they were, they were essentially going to take the old space shuttle stuff and put engines on the bottom of the tank and put like an Apollo capsule on top and maybe go to the moon that way. And it would have been cheap and efficient, and we've already developed all the technology, and all of this stuff has just been completely stopped. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I think we should have a manned space program. I think I would like to see a lot of reforms in NASA, and I don't really understand why it's not going forward because I do think it's a good thing for our country.
1: And we'll get into more of that, whether we should have a better space program. Or if we already have the Secret Space Program, make more of it public. Who knows? We have Mike Barra joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the
2: Paracast.
1: Hey, neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? you go to asseenontv.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out asseenontv.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SEEN1, S-E-E-N number one, Scene one Go to asseenontv.com to order. Save 10%. Purchase this summer's hottest as seen on TV items, save ten percent. Or call one eight six six two seven seven three three six six one eight six six two seven seven three three six six.
12: The code scene one to save. 10%. Good day, Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, September 21st, 2012. Gold opens this morning at 1774.30. A one-ounce gold coin can be purchased for 9 908.97 for a half ounce, or 454.49 for a quarter ounce. That's 1817-95, 908.97, and 454.49.
3: Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800-686-2237.
16: Iodine Protection Packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant Powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant Powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: We have Mike Barrer joining us this week talking about Mars, Moon, and NASA mysteries with Gene and Chris in the Paracast. What about the rumors that the moon landings were all staged in studios here on Earth and the real stuff is going on all behind the scenes?
9: Well, I do do cover that in Ancient Aliens on the Moon. There's a whole chapter on that. And my position is that they didn't fake anything, that they went to the moon. One of the best quotes I ever heard was Charlie Duke, uh, who was actually the guy, if you remember the famous Apollo 11 landing sequence, he's the mission control, the voice of mission control, that's Charlie Duke, and he later went to the moon himself. And he says, look, you know, If if we were going to fake it, fake going to the moon, we went there nine times. Why would we fake it nine times? It doesn't make any sense. If you look at the arguments that it was all faked, I think they all just really are very shallow and they fall apart very quickly. I I go through a lot of them. I don't deal too much with the the newer stuff that uh, people like Jay Weidner come up with because I I don't really think they hold up very well either, but I just really haven't seen any evidence that that's the case. I think in most of the stuff that I've looked at, dig into the arguments they really aren't very logical and they really they really don't
1: hold up the other thing i do not understand is if we have this very advanced technology would it still not make sense maybe not to release all of it but release a little bit of it you know throw us a few bones here say okay here's another way of getting to the moon show a little advancement not completely backtracking
9: well it might but you know again you're saying to yourself okay you're that's a perspective where you're saying, gosh, the people in charge are benevolent <laughs> and they want the best for us. Now, you know, what I hear, the rumors... Well, I don't know if, if they others... want the
1: best for us. They want the best for themselves. Wouldn't that help them?
9: Right. Well, how? How does that help them? Letting people know. I mean, think about it like this. One of the biggest cash cows that's out there right now in the medical industry is, is cancer treatment. There's no money in a cure for cancer. All the money is in the treatment of cancer. So it's really in you know everybody's best interest, including the insurance companies and doctors and the hospitals and the whole medical industry and the research industry, to not have a cure for cancer. And we really shouldn't, you know, as a government, we shouldn't be paying anything for cancer research or for treatment. What we should be paying for is cures. You know, we should put aside 50 billion dollars here. The first company that comes up with a cure for a specific form of cancer that's 100% effective. You get fifty billion dollars and go at it, guys. I think if we did that, we'd have cures. So again, you know, you hear things, you know, the people in the Tesla Society say that, that there was a time when there was different frequency sound waves were used to cure cancer in the thirties. But these technologies always end up getting lost or they get taken underground and they're only for the elites. And again, I think that I just don't see any motivation by these people to release the society especially if it's gonna significantly affect the, the way society has been structured to this point. And I mean, think about it. If, if people didn't people got to die something, and if they didn't die anymore, you know, if, if most of the diseases were cured, the population of the planet would go out of control. And we know from stuff like the Georgia Guidestones that there's definitely a, a segment of society in, in the upper echelon that thinks the planet's already overpopulated, and, and that's kind of a lack
1: all right, so we have here another conspiracy theory that medical advances are being held back because...
9: You pulled me into that conspiracy
1: Well, theory. I mean, it kind of fell into it from the sake of bringing advanced technology public. And right. therefore, suddenly it's the medical industry that they're withholding the secrets of cancer treatment, cure of heart disease, because the drug companies make more money this way. Now, I would mm-hmm. have loved if my brother... The late Wallace H. Steinberg, who was very prominent in the healthcare industry in the '70s and '80s, if he survived, maybe he would have had an interesting reaction because he was part of a venture capital company that financed advanced
9: drug companies. Well, well, let me give you a, let me give you an example, slightly off of uh, medical that that is that I had personal knowledge of because when my dad retired, he was one of the world's foremost experts on materials technology for aerospace. He had worked on on all of the different material technology um, and safety in fires for aircraft. Basically with the idea that if you're in a crash of a commercial airliner, how do we make sure that your seat doesn't burn you alive? Or how do we make sure the fumes don't kill you? And so after he retired, he was invited into a venture capital operation, and it was basically uh, a scientist who had invented a a fire retardant material that was completely non-toxic. It was water-based, and you could coat anything in it, and it wouldn't burn. My dad, I remember him coming home and saying, Jesus, Mike, you know, today I saw that we we took a 2,000-degree blowtorch to, to pajamas that we treated in this stuff, and it wouldn't burn. It wouldn't burn at all. And the whole process, it was about two years my dad was president of the company. They ran through all the tests, all the experiments. They got all the data, and then the guy who owned it shut the whole thing down, completely cut it off, fired everybody, and it all disappeared. And what I think this was was, again, it was a, a – of probably a public thing, probably some sort of secret development of some secret material technology, all done with private capital. It was bought out by the government, and it was made to go away. But the truth is, nobody needs to be burned because all clothing, every bit of clothing could be manufactured from this stuff. So there's no reason why, you know, in a fire, anything has to burn. You could you could embed it in paint. You know, the walls of buildings would not burn. The fires that we saw on 9-11 in two Twin Towers would not have happened. And this was in 1982 this was developed. I mean, my dad came home and told me about the test, showed me some of the test data. I was 22 or so at the time. You know, he was just amazed by this stuff that was completely safe, completely non-toxic, and it wouldn't burn, period. Nothing would burn if it was coated with this stuff or soap I suppose and we, we could go on now. with this
1: theory. We can take it further and say, okay, let's talk about free energy, yeah, about so, things well, that well, can well, help your car get 100 it. miles a gallon, that kind of thing. I want to go back, mm-hmm. however, to something closer to what we do back to the mysteries on mars and the moon okay now say the face on mars is genuine now i guess the theory about mars today is that maybe somewhere in the past millions of years ago they had the climate for a more advanced form of life but as the planet aged it lost its atmosphere so how old would these artifacts be
9: Well, it depends on when they were built, if they were built before or after the cataclysm. And it it, it really, I think that it could have been very recently, like within a couple of million years, or even, crossing my fingers, less than a million years ago that Mars experienced whatever catastrophe destroyed all the life that was there, destroyed the civilization that was there, because Mars shows all the evidence of not really being a planet. It's actually a moon of another planet that no longer exists. Dr. Tom Van Flandern called it Planet V or Planet 5. It was, it was sort of what he described, what's now described as a super-Earth, a very, very large Earth-like body, and Mars, in fact, was orbiting this body. When that planet exploded or was destroyed, and that's pure speculation, the, the basically the destruction of that planet shattered Mars with, um, you know, millions of tons of, of debris from this violent explosion, ripped away most of the atmosphere and made it essentially uninhabitable. And all the water um, very quickly froze. And it's really interesting because, you know, at places like Sedonia, if you look at the infrared images of Sidonia that we covered in Dark Mission, uh, and that I'm going to cover again in Ancient Aliens on Mars next year, there's evidence of a, of a buried city underneath the ice there, that the planet was once just covered in water and very habitable. Evidence um, of a Buried City.
1: This is where I have to do the break because it is such a great cliffhanger. Evidence of a Buried City on Mars. I want to ask more about that. Mike Barrett joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast,
10: The GCN Radio Network. Providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great Talk Radio starts here.
13: Every day, nearly 3,000 families enter into foreclosure and face losing their home. If you're currently behind on your mortgage, you can still avoid foreclosure. You can save your home, but you need to act now. We're Allied State Foreclosure Services. We're experts in saving homes from foreclosure. With just one phone call to us, you can stop the foreclosure process, lower your monthly mortgage payments, and save your home. Call now. The call is free with no obligation. 1-800-597-8843. Call us if you've been threatened with foreclosure, denied loan modification, or missed a payment on your mortgage. If you've been a victim of a predatory loan or are upside down on your mortgage, even if you've lost your job and you're worried about losing your home, don't wait. Call us now and let us help you save your home. You've worked hard to build a life with your family. Let us help you keep your home. Call now before it's too late. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843. 1-800-597-8843.
6: That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your fake TV for only $34.95, go to fake tv.com or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-F-A-K-E-TV or go to FakeTV.com. FakeTV.com, the burglar deterrent. How would you like to have normal blood pressure?
16: This- I'm from Illinois. I had my doctor's appointment yesterday, and I got my labs in. My HDL is 119L, and my LDL is 37L. My doctor asked what I was doing to lower it so much, so I told her about
10: HB
8: Extract. Millions of people like Ernesto are suffering from high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, and clogged arteries. But now there's an effective, natural, 100% organic nutritional supplement for a healthy heart and circulation, Heart and Body Extract.
16: My blood pressure has not gone past 125 over 80
8: in almost a month. Experience amazing benefits when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract.
16: She did a double take when she looked at my ER labs.
8: She couldn't believe it. Order at HBextract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBextract.com or call 866-295-5305. Thank you. Heart and Body Extract. This
19: is Jerome Clark, author of the
3: UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: Is there evidence of a buried ancient city on Mars? And implicit in all that, there are lots of other questions I'm going to ask of Mike Barrer. His latest book is called Ancient Aliens on the Moon. But next year, there's going to be ancient aliens on Mars. You're in the PowerCast with Gene and Chris. So, Mike, let's ask the question right here. How do we know there is a buried city on Mars?
9: Well, back in, in early 2001, Mars Odyssey 2001 was sent to, uh, to Mars orbit, it got there successfully, and it had on board an infrared camera. And one of the things that, that Richard and I uh, and other people were very interested to see was what would this THEMIS infrared camera show us about the Sedonia region? What would happen once it started to take pictures of this? Because with infrared, what you get is you get you know stuff underneath the ground is heated up during the day. And then at night, it glows afterwards with that heat for a while, and this can be picked up by infrared cameras. So you actually get some possible ground penetration of the subsurface below uh, any portion of Mars or any other planet. And it's really very interesting stuff. You can basically tell different compositional elements from this, but not necessarily what they are, but you can tell that one material is different than another. And back during this period, we were very interested in this. And, and, and the problem was we didn't really know very much about how to process thermal infrared images. So, And this is a really interesting story. And it goes on for quite a while. So what happened was is this guy starts showing up at the, on the old Enterprise Mission, Richard Hoagland's website, on his message board. And he starts questioning people and, and asking them what they know about infrared imaging. And he eventually connects with a guy named Keith Laney, who um, – it's mentioned real prominently in, uh, in both Ancient Aliens on the Moon and Dark Mission. And um, starts talking to Keith, and he quickly figures out that Keith is, like, the smartest guy here. Eventually, when it comes time to, we're putting a lot of political pressure through emails and letters and things like that on NASA to take a nighttime infrared image of the Sidonia region, or a series of images, because there's, like, nine different filters. Eventually, they release this image. Keith takes one looks at look at it and says, ah, oh, it's a bunch of crap, and he doesn't download it. And this guy, whose nickname is Vance, by the way, B-A-M-F, keeps after him and keeps after him and says, come on, you got to go look at it, come on, you got to go look at it, you got to go look at it. And so finally, at about 10.30 at night one night, Keith goes in and he grabs this high-resolution TIFF and he downloads it. And a few days later, he starts to work on it. And as he works on it, he eventually sees that below Sidonia, underneath the face on Mars and the DNM pyramid and the city and all these other objects that are there, there is this cityscape that comes out. There's this incredible series of streets and bridges and buildings and temples and roads and just this incredible stuff that's all over the place. And it's really quite stunning. And when we took a visual image and overlaid that on top of it, it got even more interesting because that's, that's a technique you can use. It's called lumens layering to actually help everything become more clear. And you can see this vast cityscape. The problem is is that when we finally released our findings, and Richard was very suspicious about this whole thing beforehand, we discovered that if you, are to go, if you go back and you download the image, then it's not the same image. In other words, they re- the Keith got the real data, and then they replaced it with de-res noise-filled images that were not, you, could, you could not repeat the work that Keith had done with that new image. There's no way you could repeat it. You would not get the same results. And we (laughs) quickly figured out that this was all a setup, that they had deliberately leaked the good stuff to Keith, hoping that we would release it. And then they would say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. You can't get that. You can't get that result out of this. You must have Photoshopped the whole thing. Um, Luckily, we, we, we caught them at it before we actually did it. And it turns out, we went back and looked at the Internet Archive, or I did, And it turns out that within an hour of Keith Laney, who had a static IP address, meaning that he was on a a cable modem and anybody could find out who he was. They could say, okay, Keith Laney just came in from this location and downloaded this image. Anybody who downloaded the, after he downloaded the image within an hour, they replaced his version with their fake doctored version where you could not get the cityscape out of the image processing. So That was the big controversy of 2002, but again, you know, we stand by what what the images show, and they clearly show a vast underground city, which we speculate is buried below a layer of ice. We think that in that area, and probably in the entire northern hemisphere of Mars, is mostly ice, water that was frozen after the catastrophe, and everything below that is just sort of frozen solid, and there's just a thin layer of dust on top of it. So... Um, the problem is, it was really interesting, is that in order for us to be able to see the images that we saw, it would have to have meant, essentially, that what was underneath the ice, well, that the lights were still on, that there was power being generated, because the infrared penetration shouldn't have been able to get that deep, as deep as we were seeing. We could only see this incredible reflection back if this buried city was still active, or at least still had power. So that was um, that was a really stunning thing. It was in Dark Mission. I'm going to cover it again and give some more details on it in, in the next book. But that that's the buried city on Mars. And it was really quite a story, and it was really funny because um, it turned out that the guy, this guy Bamp, who was in there, turned out to be the uh, assistant and the webmaster for the guy, Dr. Philip Christensen, who was in charge of the famous infrared cameras. So he had spent literally a thousand hours on Richard's uh, website and on his message board, trying to find somebody
2: to leak these to That's really interesting. That's, uh, that's all news to me. That's something uh, you know? I think our listeners are really going to have a, a fun time for. Yeah. on. Now, Let's I have
9: again, a question for, dark, for you, It's Mike. in Dark Mission, and it's on the Enterprise Mission website, and it's in Dark Mission also, and it's, it's going to be in the
2: next book. So. Well, I have a question for you. We had, uh, uh, we've had Dr. John Brandenburg on the program, and last year he came up with a very intriguing observation that we um, roughly stated, he said about 180 million years ago, some sort of planet-shattering, possibly a natural uh, occurrence, uh, happened, which was some sort of nuclear reaction occurred in the northern hemisphere around the Mar Acidol. Some of these. Mar Acidalia,
9: yeah. Mar Acidalia, yeah. Well, he yeah. claims yeah. that That's there's a, the thin,
2: a thin layer of radioactivity can be found all over Mars, and. There's a hot spot in that particular region, and he said it, it would take the equivalent of one million one megaton hydrogen bombs to, to uh, you know, lay down the concentration of radioactivity there. Have you looked into this claim, and are you familiar with this uh, particular observation of his?
9: Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I don't think it's I don't think it's valid. I think that what you're actually th- those explosions that you're talking about—that's the impact of the debris from this planet hitting Mars over and over and over and over again. And, and, and again, it's going to be radioactive because, you know, there are heavy radioactive elements in planetary cores and in, in, in planetary mantles. You're going to get a lot of uranium, a lot of things like that. So I think what he's really looking at uh, is, is sort of a variation of Dr. Van Flandern's uh, theme, which is that Mars was, you know, actually damaged from the destruction of this other planet. That's, that's where that comes from, in my opinion.
2: Well, so uranium, thorium, uh, radioactive mm-hmm. potassium, all this can be released by, uh, you know, catastrophic well, impact?
9: If, if, if for instance, the moon was to explode tomorrow and, and, you know, shower the Earth with debris, it would certainly leave layers of all kinds of different um, materials all over the surface of the Earth, and that would include, presumably, radioactive elements. So, you know, again... It, all you have to do is have those radioactive elements present in the parent body. And when the planet gets bombarded, uh, when Mars gets bombarded by that, then you, that accounts for it all. So, you know, again, I, I think um, there are some people who want to say that based on Mars has been nuked. And I, you know, I think that kind of comes from some of Brandenburg's theories and I I, just, I, I gotta say, I think that's ridiculous. So in terms of Dr. Brandenburg's theory, it's like, he, you know, it's one or the other, but, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Mars was once uh, a moon of a, a larger planet. that has two tidal bulges 180 degrees apart, and we know for a fact that any any object in the solar system that has that bulge condition was once in a tidal locked orbital relationship with a much larger body. So, and we am getting to yeah. more of these
1: mysteries and get back to the moon. We'll send everyone to the moon with Alice in a few <laughs> moments. Mike Barrer joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The Paracast.
19: prices are for base buildings only and may not be available in some areas this is an alert if your business or church is building next year you're about to pay more than you should this could mean thousands of dollars more for your office retail space church or warehouse call general steel now for the quality and the price in a pre-engineered steel building that you just can't beat that's right General Steel can save you thousands of dollars with a pre-engineered steel building designed for your business or church. What does this mean? How about a 50 by 100 foot building for under $30,000? Don't pay thousands more than you should without calling General Steel first. Call 866-99-STEEL today and save as much as half the cost and time of conventional construction. Don't let rising steel prices put your project in jeopardy. Call now to lock in your price for three months. Call 866-99-STEEL. That's 866-997-8335. Don't spend thousands of dollars more than you should. Call 866 99 today.
14: Here it is, another election year. And here you are again wishing you knew more about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the other amendments, and the Declaration of Independence. But who has the time to study? Wouldn't it be nice if you could simply listen to them? And wouldn't it be great if they came packaged with an index? Yep, an index that lets you go to any part of the founding documents just by punching in a track number on your computer or CD player. What exactly is the Ninth Amendment? Track 10, play. It's that simple. The founding documents collection on audio CD. To get yours now, just go to Amazon.com and type in Founding Documents Collection, CD. For just $19.95 and 3 dollars shipping and handling, you'll have the firepower you need to argue from the ultimate facts that form our nation's foundation. Want to be a hero? Get one for you and give another to your local school for Constitution Day. Go to Amazon.com
5: now and type in Founding Documents Collection, CD. Since 1974, Evelyn Gibson has helped thousands of people live healthier, happier, and more productive lives. GibsonsHealth.com demonstrates, educates, and inspires customers to replace their healthy erosive lifestyles with a health-enhancing one. Now, GibsonsHealth.com is pleased to offer Aim Ready Beats Pure Juice Powder. Beet juice has long been known as a blood purifier and builder of red blood cells. The American Heart Association says one in three adults has high blood pressure and hypertension. Researchers found that a daily glass of beet juice beats high blood pressure and not only that just a teaspoon or two a day of ready beets powder increased stamina by 16 percent certainly drinking beet juice daily is a better solution than most meds with their side effects order your fresh convenient form juice powder of this amazing vegetable called ready beets from gibsonshealth.com to buy at wholesale prices call 800-388-6844 or go to gibsonshealth.com gibson's healthful living since 1974 over 30,000 healthier customers
12: Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're
1: listening to the Paracast. I should have played that recording to the moon, Alice.
12: Yeah.
1: We have Mike Barrett joining us with Gene and Chris on the Powercast, exploring whether the supposed divesting of Mars from orbiting a planet that no longer exists caused the radioactive levels. Another question that comes here to the legends of advanced civilizations – would we think maybe if we look at those legends, assuming it was real, we had this larger or fatter Earth planet in our solar system, mm-hmm. it spawned an advanced civilization, when things turned bad, they went to Earth, and leaving us legends of Atlantis, etc. What do you think?
9: Well, I think it's completely logical. Um, the question is, you know, timing. I mean, the truth is that, that this what happened to Mars probably happened a couple of million years ago, which really doesn't... You know, it's not really ideal for the placement of modern man, at least in terms of the fossil record. So that's, that's hard for me to, um, to necessarily put, you know, put those two pieces together in terms of the time frame. But we don't know. We don't really know how long it would take for the solar system to calm down after a catastrophic event like that. Um, it could have been 65 million years ago. It could have been 2 million years ago. It could have been a couple hundred thousand years ago. Although, logically, there'd be a lot more debris around the solar system if it had happened just a couple hundred thousand years ago, but, you know, again, we don't know because we've never really experienced anything like this in in, in human history. So um, what I think, to me, is, is more interesting, you know, is, is that the idea that there have been advanced human civilizations before this one, and in my second book, In The Choice, I talked about some of the Hopi legends. There have been pre- three previous worlds of man, but the last one was had technologies that were even more advanced than what we have today, and that's what the Hopi legends tell us. And then, you know, you, in Ancient Aliens on the Moon, I look at these ruins and these buildings that appear to be there, and everything there, it, it doesn't look very alien to me. You know, I, the reason why I can believe in this and relate to this stuff is that when I look at these structures... They all make sense to me from a human engineering standpoint. It almost looks like, even though they're enormous and very highly advanced stuff, it almost looks to me like it's human technology. And I, and I wonder if there's a connection there with this previous world of man, this previous human civilization that lived here on Earth that was very advanced, that maybe went to Mars and went to the moon and built these enormous bases. And then the cataclysm or whatever it was destroyed them and force them to either live underground on Mars or eventually come to the Earth or just completely wipe the civilization out and we had to start all over again. So to me, I'm kind of more interested in in the ancient, the legends of the ancients like the Hopis and and what, what and when that third world of man was and what it was like and whether the stuff that we're seeing on the moon necessarily isn't maybe necessarily alien, but only alien in the sense that it's from some other previous earlier version of the human race. You know, it's it's possible that when Neil Armstrong said, "That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind," he actually meant that, And and he meant it in the context of, "That's one small step for man, this version of the human race, but it's a giant leap for all mankind. This, this far greater related, you know, human subspecies that maybe has been inhabiting these parts around here for." For millions of years before, so it's a giant leap for them because we're
2: returning the stars from whence we came. You you bring up the Hopi, Mike, and that uh, I want to just kind of add a little caveat to this here. Um, the Hopi also warned us that if we ever do get to the moon, not to bring mm-hmm. anything back. And uh, right, do you address that in in your new book?
9: Yes, <laughs> I actually addressed that. More, a little bit more in the choice where I talk about that. Now that particular prophecy is not one of necessarily the acknowledged official Hopi prophecies, but it is an additional prophecy that I think was supposedly given by an elder named White Feather in, in about 1960. And I have heard that, and I, I'm not saying it's not a correct prophecy. I'm just saying it's not part of the canonical Hopi prophecies, as I understand it. But it is well, something. It, it, it,
2: it wasn't a prophecy; it was just a warning that creator.
9: Warning.
2: Yeah, creator, creator. According to the to the Hopi, uh, was very, very strict and very um, upfront about right.
9: the right. admonishment
2: not to not to bring anything back from the moon. And some Hopi, even to this day, equate some of our, you know, our really vexing problems here uh, in this current twenty first century as being a direct result of bringing artifacts, rocks, and other materials back from the moon.
9: Yeah, and, and so where that fits in with, with ancient aliens on the moon is that there's a chapter in there about Apollo 17. And I think by the time we got into the last lunar mission, man mission, which was Apollo 17, I think we'd reached a point where we were just looking for stuff. We were looking for stuff to bring back. And it's really fascinating because as you go through the story of you know, what the astronauts did when they were there, they went to all these very intriguing places. They went to the base of a mountain called the South Massif which actually was, um, it's actually hexagonal. It's a hexagonal mountain. There's a V-shaped depression or opening that seems to go underneath the thing. And they drove the rover right up to the, to the ridge on top, right above that, parked the rover, and then the camera basically pans away for about 30 minutes and doesn't show you either this depression called Nansen or the astronauts for about 25 or 30 minutes. And we have no idea what they're doing. But there is some interesting transmissions where Cernan says, Gene Cernan says, well, we, we really haven't been able to look, look around any more than you've seen. So, of course, the answer is we haven't seen anything. Um, and there are no pictures of this, this, what looks like an entrance underneath this thing. There are no pictures of the inside of it at all. Um, and they, they did apparently stop and take some other pictures. There's no photographs pointing into this thing. And then they went on to another place, uh, an area called Shorty Crater. And in Shorty Crater, if you look at this, these panoramas, this is where, where Richard found this thing that we call Data's head. And, and if you look inside the crater, there's all kinds of stuff that as I look at it, I don't see rocks. I see mechanisms. I see mechanisms. I see pumps. I see mechanical debris. And then right in the mix of this is this thing that looks like a head. It, first, it looks like a human head. It's the same size as a human head. But as you zoom up on it, it looks more and more like like it's mechanical. It almost looks like C-3PO's. Fashion. And as you do color enhancement of this, you can see that it has a painted red stripe on the upper lip. And I swear to God, that's what it looks like. The picture's been out there for years. It's in Ancient Aliens on the Moon. They talk about this mission and what, we, what they did. And the reality is, What if they brought stuff like that back? Now, whether they could have actually descended into Shorty Crater, picked up Data's head, and brought it back, I don't know. But what if it was that? What if it was some sort of mechanism? What if it was the head of a robot? Having something like that, you know, a a, a positronic brain, if you want to use a Star Trek term, what kinds of secrets would something like that hold? And if you were able to decode that technology, and put it to good use the same way we talked about, or put it to some use, the same way they talk about in the Terminator films and so forth. What would we have learned? And would that knowledge itself unbalance the planet in terms of power structures or the physics? You know, what if they brought this thing back, plugged it into a power source, and turned it on? We don't know right. what would
2: happen. So, right. So, again, so you're putting the Hopi warning into a, a really cool context. Maybe it wasn't yeah, natural and I mean, things.
9: Yeah, I mean, I could actually show you stuff that they could have brought back, that they could have brought back that would have been, you know, they would have been able to get in their bags and stuff. But absolutely, I think to my my engineer's eye, is absolutely technology. It's absolutely not rocks. So, um, you know, that to me is an astonishing um, connection to that Hopi prophecy. And I can't disagree at all with that particular prophecy or warning um, in, in that context. We certainly have had, had a, we were kind of going through a chaotic period anyway before we went to the moon but it seems like things have been even more chaotic afterwards
1: maybe we should go back to the moon and stay there who knows
9: you know i have well, a maybe, quick... we should, maybe we should take everything back and drop it back off again
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know i have an interesting question that arises if there was an advanced ancient civilization the ancient astronauts mm-hmm. and maybe they lived on the legendary fifth planet before it was destroyed we wonder where they could have gone. Maybe they coexist with us on Earth, because there is also the theory about crypto terrestrials. The late Mac Tonys wrote a book. It's not an unusual theory. It goes back even to the days of Richard Schaefer and his Diros and Tiros that we have underground or in some hidden part of our world, and we haven't explored every part of our planet, no matter what they want you to believe. There might mm-hmm. be another civilization, an advanced civilization. Maybe our governments know about it and protect them for reasons best known to themselves. And maybe they send out their aircraft every so often, and that aircraft is seen as UFOs. Maybe there's Mm -hmm. interaction. Maybe we get advanced technology from them, some kind of cross-pollination. Who knows? A lot of theories, a lot of possibilities to consider. We're talking with Mike Barra, and the book is called Ancient Aliens on the Moon. And right now, I'm talking about ancient aliens right here on Earth. You're on with Gene and Chris, because you were in
2: the Paracast.
10: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
11: The worst drought in 50 years continues, and the first six months of 2012 marks the hottest half year on record. 78% of the Midwest corn belt is in drought conditions. Not only corn, but soy, alfalfa, fruits, vegetables, and wheat are all impacted, raising prices. The cost to feed livestock is forcing farmers and ranchers out of business, blowing up your food prices. The only strategy to counter this is to freeze your food cost at today's prices by getting your own supply of foods from eFoods Direct Now. As the price of raw ingredients increases, eFoods will have to raise prices too. Now is the time to get your supply. I recently increased my supply from eFoods Direct because we have all known this was coming. You know about their delicious long-term storable foods. The fact is you can eat at any time to save money today. And because it stores for 25 years, you're locking in today's prices and avoiding the rising food cost. Don't wait. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoods Direct.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: On the Paracast with Gene and Chris, the final hour of the show, we're talking to Mike Barra, looking at lunar and Martian mysteries. And I raised the question about crypto terrestrials, hidden races on Earth. And you're going to have a response.
9: Well, you know, I, I just was going to say that I think that the guy who's probably got it the most accurate in terms of human origins is really Zechariah Sitchin and Lloyd, Lloyd Pye. I don't know if you guys have ever had Lloyd Pye on your show. I don't know if you like him or in not. In our early
1: but years, I, we had Lloyd Pye. We talked about that artifact that he was carrying along. And then we had mm-hmm. some kind of controversy because one of our listeners was involved in trying to make a replica of it. I don't even want to get started. Too complicated.
9: Yeah. Yeah, well the, the thing is is that I think Sitchin has made, you know, made a really strong case, the so late Zachariah Sitchin made a really strong case that basically modern man is spliced together from this Anunnaki extraterrestrial DNA and like Neanderthal DNA. And you know, you look at, at human mitochondrial DNA and it only goes back two hundred thousand years, it completely blew up all the theories of evolution. It, it basically you know, shattered the Darwinian delusion that we just are sort of formed by some sort of accident. And I think all those timeframes fit together in, in the sense that you know, we seem to have come into existence about 200,000 years ago, which is just a blink of an eye in, in geologic terms and, and certainly in terms of the, the lifetime of the galaxy. You know, we just sort of sprung into existence, fully formed, with our skulls and our brains and everything that we have right now. And I, I really think that when you talk about human origins, that's probably the most likely story. Now, maybe some of these ancient civilizations you talk about, the ones that are living underground, maybe that's where some of the Anunnaki went. Maybe that's that's who these people are. I I don't know. You hear all kinds of stories. You hear stories. They're, they're that,
2: not they're not on the twelfth planet uh, with its. uh yeah. Three thousand uh, year orbit or something, going all the way out into the cold fringes of, of the solar system, and then returning back. So yeah, they actually exactly. uh, jumped off, and, and and they're here now. Maybe that's who the crypto-terrestrials are.
9: Well, you know, you know, Bob Dean, Robert O'Dean, has said on various times, you know, extraterrestrials aren't just in the government; they are the government. And he talks about people that he's met that he believes are descendants of Anunnaki or Anunnaki that have been around for lots of you know a long time that are trying to sort of clear their karma, the bad stuff that they did by staying here and helping us through this transitional period that we're going through. So um, it's possible. It's possible. I don't know, but that's certainly one possibility.
2: Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about your new book here uh, real quick. Why don't you give us a, a quick thumbnail sketch of what your, your original vision was in writing this book? Where are you going with it? Why, what was the motivation to write this book, uh, number one?
17: Well,
9: the the primary motivation is that, you know, this whole ancient alien thing has really taken off. And what I discovered is that there's a very young audience of people that have never heard about this stuff. You know, you guys have been around for a while. We've all been around for a while. We all know who these people are. We know who Hoagie is. We know who some of the other hosts are. We all remember Art Bell. We all remember all this stuff. But these younger people are just coming along, and they're just hearing about this, and they're hearing about these kinds of things through YouTube, and through shows like Ancient Aliens, which I've been, you know, uh, lucky enough to be a part of, so you know, I thought to myself, well, there really is a lot of talk about ancient aliens in terms of the Earth, and they've almost pretty much exhausted that. I think I think once we got to the point of you know ancient aliens involved with Thanksgiving, I think we've kind of reached the end of the ancient aliens on Earth line. And so what I thought was, look, there's people don't know this whole history that I've been aware of for for 20 years now, and it's time to take this stuff and and some new information, find some new information and put it into a simple, straightforward uh, book that they can they can learn about the history of ancient artifacts and, and ruins and uh, ancient aliens on the moon. So I thought, well, I want to put this thing together and do it. And I'll take them through, you know, all the stuff from transient lunar phenomenon through some of the very early books on the subject through the Apollo program, Poland series. New discoveries that have been made, stuff that I've worked on that I've never really published before. So I just thought it's a, it's a great way to just focus on the artifacts and the the existence of these ruins on our neighbor right next door, near 239,000 miles away.
2: Prometheus is going to try to, uh, well, they're already in production for a uh, fifth season, and they, <laughs> they even there's talk of a sixth season. So, but I'll tell you, they're milking the cow, bro.
9: <laughs> well, so it's a popular show, but the reason why it's popular is because there's a lot of new young people that want to know about this stuff that have been kind of locked out of it or haven't haven't they don't use the old media, you know, anymore to get their information. They use the new media, and uh, so I just thought, well, you know, I'll get this out. I'll get it on Kindle, and I'll try to get get people aware of the fact that this has been these investigations have been going on for decades, really.
1: Chris, we have some questions that our listeners are asking about lunar mysteries and about their concerns. We've asked a few already. Would you continue?
2: Well, we do have other questions uh, from our listeners at forum.theparacast.com. You know, there's a couple that are uh, that are uh, a little provocative, so we'll save those for later. But first of all, gobsmacky is one of our, you know, most uh, uh, fervent uh, posters. He's been really involved uh, in the year uh, or so that he's been uh, a forum member. And he always comes up with some very interesting questions. And you brought up the whole um, subject of transient lunar phenomena. And for um, some of our, our new listeners who may not be up to speed uh, concerning the, the the really impressive history of astronomers uh, observing uh, unexplained what appear to be, as the term implies, transient lunar phenomenon. And, and Gobsmack he says, Mike, have you any reason to believe images taken by recent lunar orbiters? May have been doctored before the public can scrutinize them. And what evidence of TLP, or transient, transient lunar phenomenon, do you personally find the most compelling? Can you, could you give us some actual details of plate numbers or coordinates or something that we, uh, some of our listeners, can then uh, follow up and do some research with?
9: Well, I find all the TLP reports to be compelling. And, and to me, they, they work in the context of this idea that there are these, these enormous glass structures, uh, most prominently on the front side of the moon, but all, you know, all over the moon that are basically were built as a meteor shield to almost to act like, like an artificial atmosphere over the, over the moon itself. Um, and you know, what would happen is, is that when you have these multiple layers of this glass structure, this sort of scaffolding kind of structure there, what's going to happen is, is that light is going to come in and hit these different panes and panels and it's going to pass through and it's going to be bent and it's going to slow down. And these giant glass shields are going to act like prisms. So what, when that happens, you're going to get very vibrant colors. You're going to get very strange colors. You're going to see reds and greens and blues and all sorts of different colors of the spectrum. And as you go back and look at reports of transient lunar phenomena, that's pretty much what they see. They see things that appear to be vaporous, that appear to be uh, different colors like red and green and blue, and I think it's really consistent with this idea that there is this sort of enormous, very, very ancient meteor shield over the entire, well, almost at one time, it was probably almost the entire surface of the moon. So uh, I find all the reports compelling, and I think that they're all very consistent with that that theory, which, you know, by the way, again, I'm not to keep dropping his name, it's, it's Mr. Hobloom's theory. So I talk about that in the book, uh, In Ancient Aliens on the Moon, and I, I think that that's just, you know, my opinion out of them is that they are legitimate and i don't think anybody really questions that they're real what's lacking is nobody wants to say this is the reason why people see these TLPs. they want to come up with every explanation except that one because that is artificial structures and nobody's going to go to go there nobody's going to go there as to the uh the other question have images been doctored i i'm sad to say that i i gotta say yes on that one and recently i was involved in a pretty extensive controversy with uh, a guy named uh well I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention his name because I'm not gonna give him any credit, but a guy who has a debunking website and he attacks people like me on a fairly regular basis. And he took out after me over something called the datalist ziggurat, which is a an artifact on an image that looks like a ziggurat or a pyramid, a Mesopotamian pyramid, on the back side of the moon. And um As an example of one of the arguments he made, he was trying to argue that if you look at images from other probes, more advanced images, that you aren't going to see this particular artifact. Well, as I dug into it, we looked at stuff from um, Japanese probe that went up there, Kaguya, I think it was called. And uh, there were several images of the area. They were all sort of whitewashed. They didn't really show anything. But as I zoomed up on the image, try to look at the specific
1: structure. And I'll tell you what, we're going to find out what he found when he checked that specific structure. What kind of evidence? Mike Barra joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to asseenontv.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out asseenontv.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SEEN1, S-E-E-N number one, SEEN1. Go to asseenontv.com to order, save 10% purchase this summer's hottest as-seen-on-TV items save 10%. Or call 1-866-277-3366, 1-866-277-3366, the code SCENE1 to save
20: Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Alley C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to GarlicHealthProducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to GarlicHealthProducts.com for your Alley C today.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: It was a cliffhanger with Mike Barra. He's the author of Ancient Aliens on the Moon. And he's looking at this structure or something on the backside of the moon... What did you find?
9: Well, as I got into this image from the Japanese probe, I found nothing but compression artifacts. What they had done is they had so over-compressed this particular JPEG before they posted it on the web that when you zoomed up on the area, you got nothing but checkerboards. It was just this enormous checkerboard. It was useless for any kind of detail work. And uh, it was you know, it's pretty disheartening because the thing is, in order to get something that compressed, you have to go out of your way to create compression artifacts. And you so basically do you're I, talking I, I here mean, about
1: digital artifacts or yeah, large pixels, yeah. stuff like that.
9: Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Well, exactly. you're suggesting you the
2: Japanese, business. the Japanese then are involved in some sort of conspiracy of obfuscation uh, to, to keep the facts from people is what well, it sounds I think like.
9: That, I think that the, the entire world is part of this conspiracy, if you want to call it that, to keep the reality of, of ancient extraterrestrial ruins from the people. Yeah, I do. I think it's a it's a worldwide policy. I don't have any um I don't have any problem asserting that. And it's pretty it's very clear from the data. There are occasionally leaks that come out. You have to put some occasionally have to put some real information in with the disinformation to make something really stick. But uh yeah, I in, in terms of this experience, I've only found uh I found three different images of this thing that appear to be genuine, and everything else that I found online digitally, whether it was from NASA or whether it was these Japanese probes, so far every, every single other image of the area has been clearly been tampered with, whether it's simply removing the contrast so that you can't see the light and the shading. I even caught, you know, in NASA's case, I found them where they took an airbrush tool. They, they basically went into something like Photoshop, took a black paintbrush, and spray-painted in fake craters over this thing to cover it up. So it's all, that's all covered on my blog. It's on blog, if I can mention it. It's, it's com and it's just one R.
1: Mike, when we click on your name at thepowercast.com, where we have the announcement about the episode, it will take them magically to your blog. How about that?
9: Okay, great. No so extra charge. There, that's right. <laughs> Go to the Paracast website. It'll take you right there. And, uh, you know, I talk about it, and it's very – I think my response was, was about 20,000 words to this guy I went through. And, and you know, again, I, I posted the images where you can plainly see that these have been – this particular area has been obscured. You know, unfortunately, the, the thing that's really sad for them is on, on the NASA image where this, this should have been the most clear, the digital NASA image, which is uh, it's an AS11-38 dash 5564 for those of you that are riding along at home. When you click on it, the ziggurat out itself is obscured by some of the tricks and things that they did, but there's all kinds of other mechanisms and machinery and there's stuff like uh, on a hillside above this area that there's a, there's a recess, looks like a recessed hanger cut into a mountain and there's a flying saucer in it. I swear to God, it's just, there's artifacts all over this image. So it's it's really quite extraordinary, and you know I think that they just said, "Oh crap, there's a pyramid here. We got to draw over that." So they did that, but they just missed all kinds of other things that are all over this particular image. So
2: well, that brings up a really interesting point. Uh, and Ian, one of our longtime forum uh, members and posters, it wants to know uh, a general point for you. In Victorian times, it was widely believed that other people, quote unquote, might live on the moon, Mars, etc. If confirmation had come, let's say in 1890. It seems likely that religion and society in general would have just accepted it. What has happened to religion and society since then, that now demands such an effort to hide evidence of extraterrestrial life,
9: assuming there is anything to hide? Good question. You know, you know, it's interesting. In the late eighteen hundreds, was a really kind of enlightened period where I don't think people saw conflict between extraterrestrial life and God's creation of man. You know, the Christian comment, the Christian creation of man. But you know, what's happened? I mean. I don't think anything's happened. I just think that we we have a lot of people in this world that are not very bright and that are very locked into their religious structures and belief systems and basically are not going to ever want to believe anything like this. And anybody who's espousing it is a heretic. And it's really interesting because the scientists and the engineers that are part of the establishment are also included in that group. The things are really to really give you the background on this, is if you look at the Brookings report, which, again, I talk about in Ancient Aliens on the Moon, essentially the Brookings report was was commissioned by NASA at the beginning of the space agency to, to basically evaluate what should we do with the things that we discover, what should we do about the things that we discover as we travel through the solar system? And the recommendation was, flat out, you're probably going to find artifacts on the Moon or Mars or Venus, and if you do, you should seriously think about suppressing them because society cannot handle it. And they use the War of the Worlds broadcast by Orson Welles as an example. They, Stanley Kubrick's film 2001: A Space Odyssey was all based on the Brookings report. I mean, you could quote from a chapter and verse. So, basically, the reason why they don't want to tell us and why there's a cover up and why it would be worldwide is because the powers of the be have decided way back in 1958 or 1960, that if we were to understand or come face-to-face with the knowledge that we were not the top of the food chain in the universe, that we would go crazy. And I'm sorry to say, I kind of agree with that, because my experience of dealing with the types and the debunkers is that they are desperately afraid of people like me that are trying to get the rest of us to wake up and say, look at this over here, this is the pyramid on the moon." So i got to say, I'm kind of in agreement with that. I still think that we are not ready yet for that kind of a revelation, and I think that's why it's still being held back from
1: us. We have another question that Chris wants to ask in a moment, but I just wanted to theorize here. So therefore, if we can't handle the truth, we could just persist for years and never know what's really going on. Chris, another question from well, our audience?
2: Well, go ahead, Mike, respond.
1: All right, Well
9: and I was going to say, look, you guys, you, there's truth to be known out there. I think, you know, I mean, Sitchin's books are truth. Dark Mission is truth. Ancient Aliens on the Moon is truth. The Choice has truth in it. Well, Mike, I mean, it's subjective. There, there's truth. I, I, the, the, academia well, no, doesn't accept not, it. it. Yeah, right, but that's the whole thing, is what you guys are looking for is you're looking for some sort of, Uh, acknowledgement by authority figures that this is real. And I'm just telling you, that's never going to happen. I don't believe that that's going to happen because to me, they're already in charge. They're already at the top. Any sort of revelation like this, they can only go one direction and that's down. So I don't believe you're ever going to get that. I mean, these people that believe in disclosure, you know, Steve Bassett and David Wilcox are always talking about disclosure. I don't think official disclosure is ever going to happen, but truth will come out. I mean, we're in this 2012 energy period where we're going through an apocalypse. And an apocalypse simply means that a veil will be lifted, to lift the veil and reveal the truth. And then that will create revolution. Well, that and sounds think, mystical
2: you know, that as happens. opposed to practical You're opening up a big old Pandora's box sure. full of worms with that one there, Mike.
1: <laughs> yeah, Mike, you are starting here because we're talking about something here that sounds mystical rather than practical. Maybe it's the right time to reveal more information maybe the governments of earth could be encouraged if they know something and all this stuff is true but as i said it sounds more like mystical in the way you're presenting it rather than just a practical consequence of where we are anyway mike barrett joins us the book is ancient aliens on the moon just out with gene and chris you're in the The Paracast.
13: Or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com.
21: September is National Preparedness Month, or as we like to call it, Preptember. So, cash in on Preptember savings at BePrepared.com. Going on now, save 21% on freeze dried mozzarella cheese. Save 25% on five of Mountain House's most popular freeze dried meals. Save 30% and learn how to make bread from scratch with the Wheat Cooking Starter Kit. Save 36% on the new LRP Entree Combo. And save a whopping 46% when you buy 10 or more packages of MRE peanut butter. All at BePrepared.com. Plus, new for Preptember, freeze dried yogurt bites in five delicious flavors. And Provident Pantry Non-Fat Dry Milk is specially priced this month. As always, check out the Emergency Essentials Group Specials during the Prep-Tember Sale, now through September 30th. Call 800-999-1863 for exceptional customer service and BePrepared.com's low price guarantee. That's 800-999-1863. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com.
17: What do you do when your propane runs out and you don't have a large amount of wood for cooking? That's when you need a Grover Rocket Stove from StockStorage.com. The Grover Rocket Stove starts easily with any combustible material like jump mail, small twigs, leaves, weeds, or dry sagebrush. Then just add a small amount of kindling wood and you'll be cooking entire meals in minutes. Grover Rocket Stoves are made right here in the USA and are built to last a lifetime using heavy-duty thick-gauge steel and are painted with high-temp paint to withstand heat. Go to StockStorage.com and see three great Grover Rocket Stoves stainless steel, heavy-duty, or our original Grover Rocket Stove for only $135 and get free shipping to the lower 48. For phone orders, call 801-361-6984 or go to StockStorage.com. That's 801-361-6984 or StockStorage.com. The original Grover Rocket Stove minimal wood-use cooking stoves, available exclusively from StockStorage.com.
13: Hello, this is John Burrows, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, Mike Barrett joining us, talking about lunar mysteries, Martian mysteries, secret space programs, and more. You want to respond to what I said about the mystical implications? Because Chris has another question for you after that.
9: Well, not really. I mean, I you know, I think we're in a, a kind of a mystical time. I mean, that's what my second book, called the Choice, was about, was that we're in this energy field where things are going to be revealed and it's going to shift, but I'm just saying I don't think... Well, you wait a minute, Mike, Mike, Mike,
2: Mike, hold, hold on, hold on. We're in this energy field. Could you be a little bit more specific?
9: Well, okay, so, so now I'm going to talk about The Choice, which is my previous book. What The Choice basically describes is that experiments in physics have shown that things like al- alignments of planets astronomical alignment, eclipses, transits of Venus, which are really just eclipses. That these things affect human consciousness, physical instruments, and electronic devices. There is a plethora, to use a big word, of evidence that this is the case. And what I did is I put that all together along with the ancient mysteries, the Hopi and things like that, and said, look, if you look at what all these cultures are saying, and if you look at what the alignments all say, what the astronomy and the astrology and the physics, the hyperdimensional physics of 2012 says, it says that we're going to go through a period of revelation, chaos, and change. And that's what's going on now. And the cool thing about it is that, you know, stuff like we are interested in, like you guys are interested in Paracast here, radio, the truth is going to start to come out on all this stuff. And it's basically, I think it's pointless to look for governments to acknowledge it because it's going to become really self-evident. It's going to become really obvious to everyone what the truth of these things are. And, and that, you know, according to that book, according to what I put down on The Choice, I think we're going to be in this transitional period for another 10 years or so, probably till 2023. So I think we can look forward to not necessarily a rocky ride, but certainly a, an interesting Time, you know, a series of interesting times coming up. And <laughs> so, it's not going to it's not going to end on December twenty first, twenty twelve. That's
2: right. So, so you you agree with my my term? We're approaching Y twenty twelve K.
9: Yeah, I do. I, I do, <laughs> and I talk about that in the choice very specifically. But but believe me, we are kind of already in twenty twelve in terms of what they thought was going to happen. And I, I'm just saying, look, there's a physics background to this that most people didn't realize. It's m- more than just mythology. More than just ancient beliefs, and uh, it's more than just speculation like astrology. There's actually a physics behind it, and, uh, and in, in the choice, I try to show you what all those experiments are and to say, hey, look, you know, you got to get ready for this wild ride because it's going to be really fun. But this period we're going through, it, it doesn't have to be bad, it can be fun, and that's that's uh, another point I'm trying
2: to make. Okay, now we're going to get into uh, a question, uh, a bit of a controversy on, on the forums in the question bank uh, thread that we put up. And it involves your claim of finding the Daedalus ziggurat. Um, we have a yeah. question from a trained observer who calls himself Paranormally Disenchanted. He's a longtime poster on the forums. He said, Mike, isn't it true that your ziggurat photo dates back to the late 90s and it originated with an apparent hoaxer named Terry James, who went by the handle KK Samurai?" The photo that Mike Barr is claiming is his discovery came from someone called KK Samurai, who apparently made several hoax photos in the '90s, as shown below. And he gives examples of this particular guy Terry James's photographs. Now, were you aware of this guy prior to uh, claiming that you were the one that found this ziggurat and made, uh, actually named it and, and uh, sent it to uh, to Richard Hoagland? It is a very uh, compelling image, I must say. Uh, speaking of ancient cultures, I mean, that looks like something right out of Babylonia. But uh, you know, give us some background on on your discovery of this image and uh, whether or not you knew about this Terry James character.
9: First of all, let's get through who this person probably is. There's, I have several cyber stalkers. There's one in particular whose name I'm not even going to mention. Either this guy is fed information by this nutbag or he is the nutbag himself under an assumed name. This, this person has cyberstalked me and Richard for years. He's obsessive. He's compulsive. He's out of his mind. He has a real problem with my, me even breathing. And quite frankly, I'm afraid of the guy. He's that nuts. But I will answer the question, which is first of all, you can tell the deception in what he's putting out right there by claiming that I ever claimed that this was quote my discovery i've never claimed this is my discovery i've never on,
22: I, I've ne- on
2: your blog spot here let me read it to you first of all it's not hogland ziggurat it's my ziggurat i'm the one who found it i'm the one who named it i'm the one who researched it i'm the one that sent it to him and it's going to be in my new book so yeah
9: in terms of in terms of calling it a ziggurat yes that's what i'm describing that's what i'm talking about I'm the one who found it on the web and sent it to Richard. I never claimed it was my image, and I made it very clear from the beginning where I got it from. So, in other words, if I was trying to pretend this was mine, why would I give you the link to the source that I found it from, which was clearly not my source. So, you know, it's not mine. Again, this is people trying to take specific statements and distort them into meaning something other than their intent or what they originally meant. I'm not going to use the words out of context, but... This is definitely not somebody with any good intentions, let's put it that way. Secondly, I was aware of this image. I've seen this image before. I've seen this image before 1998, as a matter of fact. I don't believe. Yeah, I, I recall
2: seeing it back KK in the 90s Samurai. as well. Yeah.
9: I've seen it before. I don't believe that KK Samurai is the original source of this particular image because I saw it before it was put around by him or anybody else. I also question whether or not he is a, quote, hoaxer. That's. Something I, I think we can debate, but again, it's not really up to him. Here's the other thing: the reason why I think this image is probably significant. Now, significant and is probably genuine is the fact that it shows evidence of having been scanned from a photographic print, as opposed to being something digital. You also have the fact that NASA went to very expensive, very expensive. They went to great measures to erase it from a number of other images. And I can clearly prove to you that those images have been digitally altered by NASA. So those two things combined make me very confident that this is real. Now, for one thing, this thing has residue on it. This image has residue on it, which is in a pattern that is very typical of having been stored in a photo album under somebody's theirs for 30 or 40 years. And I've got a lot of images like that. And they have these old glue patterns. And again, I talk about this. You can go to my website. You can go to my blog. You can look at the story. I will tell you everything that I can deduce about this particular thing. So I'm, I'm very confident that this image is at, least, is at least real enough that I think somebody went to a great deal of trouble to alter the digital version that's now on NASA's website
2: okay fair enough um i'm i'm satisfied with that explanation i do know how insidious some of these people can be uh there's there's a lot of people that are willing to you know it's like the crabs all gathered in the bottom of the of the of the container the bucket and then the one they all pile up to try to get out and the one finally gets up to the rim and tries to get out and all the rest pull them back so i believe me i know where you're coming from on that
9: well i mean you know again again it's it's my cigarette, and I'm only saying in the context of I'm taking responsibility for the image. It's not Richard's image. It's mine. I gave it to him. He has carte blanche to do anything he wants with anything I give him. But what I wanted to make clear in that statement is he didn't put this image out. It's mine. I'm the one who found it, as I pointed out. That doesn't mean that doesn't, that, that was meant to say I'm the one who found it online and gave it to him. So okay. Well, yeah, you context. don't state that not, in I'm your statement, saying, but, uh, but, well, but okay, that's okay. But again— it, it's just a post on my blog. Actually, that was a post on Facebook. It was even on my blog, explaining that it's not Richard's image; it's mine. And right. I'm taking responsibility for putting it out there.
2: Okay, well, let's let's move on. Uh, I needed to ask that question because we do really try as 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 much as humanly possible to uh, to include our listeners in the broadcast and and ask their questions. This was uh, the subject of a couple couple three questions, so I wanted to get that out of the way. One thing that has always intrigued me uh, has been the Blair Cuspids. Now, Mm -hmm. this is a very, very, I think, uh, uh, little-known formation or um, um, enigma, uh, for lack of a better term, that we can equate with the moon. Why don't you give our our first-time listeners and uh, people who aren't up up to speed on some of these very enigmatic uh, apparent structures on the moon, give them a little background on what we know of the Blair Blair Cuspids and – the whole idea of obelisks and uh, their potential role, uh, let's say, ancient aliens were somehow involved in, uh, in in obelisks and putting them on the moon and Mars and other places.
1: We'll get that answer
2: well, from Mike Barra on our next
1: segment with Gene and Chris. You're in
2: the ParaCast,
10: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
1: Preparedness simple.
4: Do you need stuff for disasters? Of course you do. For over 15 years, DisasterStuff.com has well, stuff for disasters. See? Easy to remember. DisasterStuff.com. Want free shipping on a new Berkey water filter? DisasterStuff.com is the official Berkey in-stock shipping center. Lots of folks want an EMP Faraday bag to protect sensitive electronics during a solar or nuclear event. Now for a limited time, all survival gear purchases over 75 include a free 8 by 8 inch EMP Faraday bag just enter promo code EMPBAG when you check out at DisasterStuff.com we're also a country living grain mill authorized dealer plus we offer freeze dried foods by Alpine Air and Wise Foods we also carry emergency kits survival seeds and much more preparedness should be simple and it is just remember DisasterStuff.com freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility After 22 years of nutritional counseling, I've witnessed that a lot of illness can be linked to toxins and deficiencies combined. Improving your liver function and restoring your cells' ability to detoxify is essential to achieving radiant health. Listen to the real-world results of Doug and his wife after taking One World Way. My name is Doug Didero. For years, I had an ongoing rash with itching around my eyes. This was due to metal dust particles landing on my face in the workplace. After being on one world way for two weeks, I began to have a severe rash and itching sensation around my eyes. This rash and itching lasted for five weeks and is now 100% gone. Additionally, without extra exercise, I've also increased my muscle size and my wife has lost weight and gained a more attractive figure. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com That's OneWorld W-H-E-Y dot com
19: Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening to
11: the Paracast and it's as good as it gets believe me.
1: With Gene and Chris in the Paracast Mike Barra has a question about some lunar mysteries. What's your response, Mike?
9: Well, the black huffits are, are, are um, some artifacts that I, or p- possible artifacts that I covered, you know, in t- chapter two of ancient aliens on the moon. And what they are is that in the 1960s, um, Lunar Orbiter uh, 2, I think it was, Lunar Orbiter 2, yeah, the of 61H3, took an image of these objects on the lunar surface that appeared to be casting very, very long and very, very pointed shadows Implying that they had some sort of an obelisk uh, aspect to them, and they were very, very much taller than they should have been, and nothing like that should really exist on a lunar surface. Now, there was an argument uh, to the effect that what you were seeing was all oh, the shadows are just elongated because there's a slope downhill around these particular objects, the so-called uh, Blair Cuspids. Now, they're named that because William Blair, who worked, I believe, um, I believe he worked at the Boeing Company said, look, if you look at these things, these shadows are very long. They're really, un, you know, unusual. They're arranged in sort of a configuration that uh, appears to be related to the geometry of a tetrahedron, which is, you know, always a key thing that sets off me or, or Mr. Hoagland. And he said, if you were to ignore these, if you saw these structures in a, in a reconnaissance photo of the Earth, you would immediately send an archaeological team there and start digging them up. And the controversy kind of went back and forth. Several other people from NASA, of course, tried to suppress the interest in this. And it kind of sat there for a long time until some people in the uh, 1990s from a group called VGL, which is Verified Gullible Lunatics, started doing some work on the images and basically did some reconstruction and said, look, this is the shape of these things. They're 70 or 80 feet tall at a minimum if there is no no, no depression or no, no fall off that created these shadows. Then, uh, recently, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter took an image of the area, and they've sort of been re-looked at, and they appear to just be small, flat folders. But the problem with the LRO image, which I think is really interesting, is that these objects, there's, there's no way, if you look at the shadows in the original Lunar Orbiter issue, um, image photograph, there's no way that the shadows that are cast could possibly be cast by objects as small or as flat or as short as these guys appear to be in the LRO image. So you kind of have a, a problem here, which is that they are the longest shadows in the image by far, and there's just no way that they could be casting shadows like that unless they were a great deal taller. You also look at the LRO image, and it's pretty clear that there is no fall off. There is no depression, and it's there really isn't any way for these shadows to have been elongated by the surface of the moon. So you still have... I think, a pretty genuine
2: controversy as to what they really are and how tall they really are. Well, which, uh, I mean, you have really done an amazing job researching this subject area, and it is, I, I think, fascinating. I think a lot of people, if they knew how many weird anomalous features can be found on nearby planetary bodies and moons and stuff, uh, they'd be pretty amazed. Out of all the research that you've done, all the scrutinizing of images, etc. What do you think are the most enigmatic structures, appearing to be structures, that we have uh, evidence of on the moon?
9: What's the best evidence of extraterrestrial artifacts on the moon? Well, there is one that I really think is, is overwhelming, and it is a, an image that was taken um, on Apollo 15 at what the, just after trans-Earth injection, and I don't I think I have the frame number with me right now, but it's in the book. It's an ancient aliens on the moon. And what it shows is it shows this gauzy, greenish-bluish glow around the moon. Now, to under- you, know, you got to understand photography in a vacuum. The only way you can have a glow like that around the moon, and it- and it clearly stretches up, above the lunar surface, you can see right on the edge of the moon, right on the horizon, That there's this glowing stuff stretching out. You, you, you shouldn't see anything like that. What you should see is absolute black. You should see nothing except the sharp, defined outline of the lunar surface. Instead, you see this gauzy, hazy glow. And that can only be one of two things. Either it is an atmosphere. Either the moon has an air glow, limb, like the Earth has, and like all other planets that atmospheres have, where there is a sort of a a ring around the planet or a a ball around the planet that is created by the atmosphere, or it is these glass structures that Hogan's been talking about for 15 or 20 years now, and that I talk about in Ancient Aliens on the Moon, that are reflecting and acting like an atmosphere around the lunar surface. And that image is absolutely indisputable. There's only two things it could be. The atmosphere or it's the black structures that Hogan's been talking about for a long time. So to my mind, the evidence that it's these glass, towering glass structures is really overwhelming. And to me, I just think that's the one that nobody, nobody can possibly explain. Nobody can refute because it's kinda like it's kinda like the tidal bulges on Mars, you know, two bulges 180 degrees apart. They're tidal bulges 100% of the time. We know that to be a fact. And again, either the moon has an atmosphere or there's glass
2: structures all around it. Well, well here's one I think uh, that we, we should address before we run out of time here. And I must say, Mike, it's been fascinating. Uh, time has just flown by here. It's amazing. Uh, it feels like we're just getting started. Um, with the recent death of Neil Armstrong, uh, some people have mentioned some very interesting things about his, uh, going into seclusion for so many years, not being publicly available, not making statements about, um, his very pivotal role in history. And another thing that most people don't, don't know is that, uh, one of the first things he did do after returning from the moon is mount an expedition, I believe to Bolivia to look for an underground, uh, repository of, of, of ancient knowledge, uh, uh, there's a really book called Taos Gold that talks about his uh, expedition down there. What do you think of Neil Armstrong and the way uh, for decades that he was unwilling to talk about uh, his, his uh, historic voyage and, and uh, some of the conspiracy theories surrounding that?
9: Well, I think, you know, he, he behaved like somebody who was ashamed of his role, not like somebody who was proud of his role. And he did eventually write a book which is, um, or wrote, you know, a book with an an author, which is pretty interesting, but kind of keeps the, keeps the standard line. Um, and uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, he's a man that appears to be very conflicted about what he experienced and, and what happened. And I do know this, I have a friend named Ken Johnston Jr. who has supplied, um, me and Hoagie with, with a collection of first generation photographic prints from the Apollo era, which, consistently seem to be different than the images that are scanned and put online. In other words, Ken has originals from the 1960s that are prints that are different than what's now being placed on NASA websites. And this has kind of been a, a source of controversy and dispute over the years. But one of the things that he told me was that, that the rumor at NASA, and he was working there at the time, I mean, he helped uh, guys like Neil Armstrong slide over the module. In fact, Neil Armstrong Um, gave him a letter of recommendation to be in the second group of first group of shuttle astronauts
20: back in the, back
9: in the day. And, um, he he said the rumor was hot at, at the time in NASA that as soon as they landed and he said the Eagle was landed and went through all that stuff, that he switched over to his private channel to his doctors, which all the astronauts had. They could speak to their doctor on the private channel at any time. And he did say, you know, there's three ships. They're on the rim of the crater. They're huge. It's very scary. What are we supposed to do about this? So, you know, again, whether that's true or not, whether Armstrong really made that transmission, I don't know. But I will tell you this, that the rumor was hot around NASA in, in July of 1969 that this had happened when they had landed on the moon. And, and that's, if that's true, that explains, I think, a lot of his unwillingness. Besides his loyalty, his security you know, maybe the safety of himself and his family, it, it maybe explains some of his behaviors. Because he certainly didn't behave like a guy who was interested or proud of what he had done.
1: I'll tell you what, Mike, we're just about out of time. Where do our listeners get more information about what you're doing?
9: Uh, you can go to, you know, on my blog, mikebarrett.blogspot.com. You can go to, um, uh, see, so you can hook up with me on Facebook. I've got, a, uh, I've got a fan page and a regular Facebook page. I'm pretty much up against the, 5,000 friends limit at this point you can also connect with me on Twitter I've got a YouTube channel it all comes up in Google just Google with my name Mike there are B-A-R-A. and uh, you can find the book on adventures uh, go to adventuresunlimitedpress.com and you can get a copy of um, Ancient Aliens on the Moon it's also available on Amazon Kindle and it should be in stores any day now it should be actually in stores probably this week
1: Sounds good to us. Chris O'Brien can be found at OurStrangePlanet.com, OurStrangePlanet.com. We are also on Twitter. We're known as The Paracast. Mike Barra, thanks for joining us this week on The Paracast. Thanks very much for having me, guys.
0: The Paracast